tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, destruction and vandalism at several vacant premises at Marketplace in Clonmel. The Ladies Gaelic Football Association's decision to allow trans men to play on women's teams. Dr Jim O'Shea on the loss of a child, Sinn Féin activist Dean McGrath on his trip to Palestine and uh, we have classical guitarist Eleanor Kelly in studio ahead of her gig at Finding a Voice in Clonmel. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text on WhatsApp 083 311 Now the Marty Party is coming to Limerick for the first time ever to the University Concert Hall uh, this Friday the 10th of March at 8pm. And we have a pair of tickets to give away on the show every single day this week. And we were speaking to Marty Morrissey about the Marty Party on this coming Wednesday. So if you want to win those tickets, it's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And uh, that's 83 311 Put the Marty Party at the end of your contribution and we'll pop you in to the draw for those tickets. Quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Uh, the Irish Indo, first of all, they're telling us that Catholic primary school managers say their pupils should not be taught what it means to be transgender in a strongly worded letter to government ministers. Now, amid controversy over how the gender identity issue should be addressed for post-primary uh, students, they've sent a clear signal about what they deem appropriate for primary schools. Let's have a look at the Irish Examiner. And uh, very worrying indeed for parents. Uh, there seems to be an alarming rise in young people engaging in sharing intimate or nude images, the Gardaí have said, and the Garda National Protective Services Bureau has warned parents to become more vigilant about what their children are doing on their phones. Also on the examiners today, and this is uh, something that caused a lot of uh, controversy over the weekend, uh, the government uh, plans to purchase anti-drone technology amid ongoing disruption at uh, Dublin Airport. Now, the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, is uh, getting a lot of flack for this because, of course, this has been flagged for many, many years and little or nothing done about it so far. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, uh, Refugees, uh, Minister Roderick O'Gorman needs to be far less fussy when it comes to accepting accommodations. Senior colleagues have warned and the message was delivered as unease in the Cabinet has grown over the government's chaotic response to the growing refugee housing crisis. The Irish Times, they're telling us that coalition tensions are growing over plans to reduce private car usage with uh, ministers set to discuss a new strategy at uh, Cabinet tomorrow and the Green Minister uh, Eamon Ryan is expected to bring a memo to Cabinet that will include an annex uh, to the government's climate plan setting out how and when climate measures can be achieved. And finally, uh, on the Times Today, communities that feel they are not uh, listened to, along with those that are pessimistic about their futures or lack diversity, are more likely to be hostile to migrants. Landmark research published finds today. So that's a quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to 
comment on any of that 1800 938 Now, several pictures were circulating on social media in recent days showing the destruction and vandalism at several vacant premises at Marketplace in Clonmel. I'm glad to be joined today by Father Michael Tuhi, uh, who posted on this, and uh, Michael is parish priest administrator in the parishes of Ardfin in Newcastle and Four Mile Water. Good morning to you, Father Michael. Good morning, Fran. How are you today? I'm very well indeed, and really good to talk to you today, as always. Yep. Um, why did you fi- feel a need to highlight this yourself, Michael? Well, Fran, I live in Clomel, and I live around the corner from Marketplace, and over the last number of months, you go around the town as I do. I walk around the town as part of my daily exercise, and mm. you see things. And really, over the last couple of weeks, Marketplace has really been destructed uh, by vandalism. And it's getting worse. And every day last week, Fran, something different has happened, including up to yesterday morning. And as a member of uh, the the citizen of Carmel, I walked and I informed the council. I I contacted the council last week and said, look, what is going on? Because I'm really concerned on a pastoral level for safety of everybody. And I am very aware, as many of us are, of what happened in the Clomel Arms a number of years ago Mm. when that was allowed Mm. to go to wreck and ruin. And it has been set on fire a number of times. It's been used for illegal activity, and sadly, someone lost their life in there. Mm. And P- I can people see living there, again. squatting there as well, of course. Yeah. yeah, and I see that's going to be happening here. Um, so I contacted the council last week uh, after last Sunday when I passed by there, and I saw a number of units had been opened, like the doors had been burst open. And every day last week, as I say, something else has happened. Like I think last Tuesday. Uh, I noticed uh, a plank of wood had been put through the old cafe, which only recently closed, and the window smashed in. Uh, last Thursday, I believe, last Thursday afternoon, this is half one in the afternoon during the day when it's still daylight, a number of youths were seen wrecking the place, smashing in windows, going into units, taking items to use as weapons to smash in windows. And people are absolutely fearful of it. And obviously, I'm, I deal with a lot of people, and they, they've said to me, we're really worried about walking through that thoroughfare mm. and I love Clonmel and I think a huge amount of work has been done by councillors and the council and people themselves including especially the tidy towns who do a huge amount of work and for this to be happening literally around the corner where they had a big um, opening of the new plaza the other week I think there's something not right so I've just highlighted it but it, it's not just me Fran everybody mm. in Clonmel you know the comments on Facebook it wasn't to kind of stir up anything it was just to say this is actually happening in our town today it's happening every day and i just wanted to highlight it directly to the council and through you and in fairness the council have been back in contact with me i've been speaking to carol this morning in the council mm. what, are, what, what did she tell you father michael well basically their hands are tied friend because it's private property mm. yeah all right that is the the issue and in fairness they did contact last week after i emailed the the owners to say look what is happening they're trying to get them involved i know last month it came up in the in the, the meetings with the local councillors I know it was raised even in the door last week, uh, but the tarnisher who was responding kind of said it's up to the council, but it's the councillors saying they can't really get involved. It's a private property thing. But my concern, Fran, is the safety, because if you're a young person, you see something like that, as a young person, you're going to be 
inquisitive and maybe have a laugh and everything, not really understand the seriousness of it. Like if someone is seriously injured in there, who is liable, who is responsible ultimately? The council is saying the owners are not contacting, they're not engaging properly with the council. They're telling them you're going to be fine for this, you're going to have to do something. They're trying to contact the auctioneers to see if they can secure the premises by locking them. But that doesn't work. They've locked the premises. People have broken into the premises. Uh, yesterday, I think there was uh, four units wide open yesterday when I went yesterday morning. Wow. One of them, they broke into, the, I assume, the cafe and took a thing of salt out and put salt all over the place. That was posted by someone on social media. Someone contacted me with a video of two of the, the, the culprits, and I've advised them just to bring that to the Garadhi. I'm not getting involved with that. There is CCTV camera there, so why hasn't that been looked into? Um, now, they did have two kind of seating benches in that area. They, they've put a load of seating benches around the town. It's a great amenity. And indeed, last week, I spoke to a student uh, from my local high school doing his homework there. And he even said, look at the disgrace of this place. And the graffiti that was around him was actually horrific. I couldn't put, put, post that up online because it was too horrific. Um, and those benches are now gone. So the council are taking some kind of action to prevent people from gathering there. But it's just sadly an indictment mm. of our, our situation at the moment. Um, I, I presume you've thought about this, Father Michael, in terms of what should happen there. And I guess we're all crying out for accommodation at this point, And it would be perfect for that if it was uh, reworked in some way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the, 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 the big thing, uh, Fran. You know, I mean, everyone is saying, look, what could you do with it? Because to be, to be, be, be realistic, Fran, every town in, in Tipperary has vacant premises. For sure. You know, yeah. you see it, it's been mentioned there on, on your news report today about vacant properties and everything. The way retail is isn't what it was 30 years ago. I remember moving to Ireland Festival when the then Super Value opened up, and it was a marvellous place. I mean, it was vibrant. There was coffee shops, there was present shops, there was old Extravision where videos were there, and it was just a vibrant place. That's all gone now because people are going online, so we have to be realistic. So what are they planning to do with it? Can they turn them into accommodation? Can they do something with it? And in fairness, I say, and I mentioned the tidy towns again, they've taken up a unit to put in a display there, and that, in fairness, that hasn't been, been touched. And there are premises there, like there's a hairdresser's there, there's a bookshop there, there's a new restaurant going around the corner, there's a, an optician's at the top. You know, so there are still viable premises there, but the problem is, Fran, the vacant properties, uh, as I say, you know, as a priest, I'm only raising it as a pastoral concern. Someone is going to get very seriously hurt or there's going to be serious damage there unless someone does something. I have suggested today, Fran, yes. to the council, I, I said, could you not just board it up and send the owners the bill? And she said, even that is a challenge because it's a private property. And it's very difficult to own someone's private property. But I, you know, my, my point is, Obviously, it's a private property, but this is a safety concern for the people of Clonmel who live in that area. We have St. Patrick's Day coming up in a few weeks' time. Are people going to come to see our town and our wonderful parade and everything looking at that? And that is where more damage is. Yeah, I, I would imagine, too, it, it, just for people outside of the town, it's a pedestrianised uh, area there that yeah. has really gone to rack and ruin. But I would imagine, is it a shortcut to the church as well, Father Michael? As well, I mean, I use yeah. that every time when I'm going to Peach and Paul's, when I was in Peach and Paul's. I use it on my daily yeah. walk. Um, you know, it's it's a thoroughfare from, you know, and, and literally it's around the corner from the council property and the guard barracks, mm. you know, and this is happening in front of their eyes, basically. And as I say, it's, I, the, the council are doing everything they can, but again, Fran, it's like everything. There is so much red tape and yeah, legal loopholes and who's in charge and what's going on. 
I'm just asking, could someone please, somewhere, just board it up, send them the bill, and move on from it, and then sort out who owns it? Well, what, we, what needs we, we asked for a statement from uh, Carl Creighton, uh, the lady yeah. you mentioned, who is the district administrator yeah. of the borough, and uh, just a couple of lines from that, she said, the only thing I can say is, number one, it's private property. Number two, we're mm-hmm. working with the owners to get going with plans for the site. Number three, yeah. we've asked them to secure all of the properties in the meantime. Number four, we're working when asked with the guardie, but where antisocial behaviour is in play, it's an enforcement issue. And uh, Carol goes on to say, I hope this clarifies uh, the, the position and also will chase for all rates for vacant properties to encourage owners to get moving on their plans. Now, I'm just wondering, yeah. one line in there that troubles me a little bit is we're working when asked with guardie, but where antisocial behaviour is in play, it's an enforcement issue. So I'm just wondering, is that pointing at the guardie and saying that maybe it needs to be policed a bit more? Probably does, but then, of course, the guardie aren't around, Fran, to be honest. You know, Re- resource-wise, you mean? Is resource-wise, they're yeah. not available. Do you know what I mean? Like, I did report to the guardie last Sunday, and I just said, look, I'm just letting you know that I've just noticed, this is the first time I noticed the doors have been broken into. Mm. And I said, I'm just raising a concern on it. So obviously there is, there's very little that they can do as well. And what well. reaction did you get from the Gardaí, Father Oh, Michael? they they, they, no, they noted it. I mean, they did notice. And I think that someone did say the Gardaí are walking around, they were walking around the other day. But of course, their resources are very limited as well, Fran. So I'm not, you know, it's not putting blame on Gardaí or saying that it's up to them or anything. It, right. it's, it's kind of a... I'm just highlighting this right. is a situation that needs resolving. But, but you're not either. one for, for drama, and you're telling me this morning no. that this could be a danger to people's safety. I mean, Absolutely, that's, that's enough for me. I, and I go back from the Clomalarms. You were there last week, Fran, across yeah. the rows, and I, I looked at you in the background, it's on, online, and I thought, that's exactly what happened in the Clomalarms. People saying, oh, it's very sad, it's been closed, and look at it, and gradually windows were being smashed, and then people were living in there, and doors were being broken, and there was a fire, and then someone died. I'm not being dramatic. Mm. That was what I happened. remember it well, yeah. I can see what's happening in marketplace. So can everybody else. And all I'm asking is someone somewhere, and as I say, Carol has done a huge amount, and I do appreciate that the councillors are doing a huge amount of work behind the scenes to try and get this resolved. The owners seem to be up in Dublin or wherever they are. They don't seem to care, very honest. That's fine. That's their property. They can do what they like. But when people's safety is coming into play, somebody has to do something. Someone has to take a lead on us. And are they going to wait until something happens, which I hope hand on heart doesn't happen. Yeah, Councillor Richard Malloy was on to us and he says he fully agrees with you and he will be raising this with the council officials but uh, with respect to to Richie, this hasn't uh, just come about today or yesterday. I mean, this has been an ongoing issue. Now, I know it's escalating but still, you know. And it seems, and someone asked me, why has it happened in the last few weeks? I don't know. It's just, it has happened. Right. The nights are getting, you know, brighter again. And, and who are, I, I don't who know are these thought. young people? Or where are they coming from? Or? Well, the, the lady who told me, I asked them, were they wearing a school uniform? And she said no. So I don't know. Yeah. And that's the other obvious answer. And I do, do you know, I'm, friend, I'm not going to blame the young people for this either. I am. Ah, no, Father Michael. No, No, I'm not going to say them directly because if you see something like that and you're a young person and and you're with a load of people and the way society is, I dare you, go on, go on, go in there, I dare you. That's that's the psyche of young people. But if you had it boarded up, it would restrict them from doing such things. Now, I'm not saying they're innocent, friends, certainly not. They have done damage here. I'm not, not defending it. But I'm saying that is the psyche of young people. When I work with young people, that is what it is. That's what we all did years ago when you saw something odd in the, in the field or in the streets. There was something there. But 
if you try prevention is better than cure, Fran, that's my my point. If they prevent young people from going in and doing damage, it's not just young people either, I'd say. It could be elderly, uh, older people as well going in there. It was older people who were in the Clumber Lounge. So it's not just youth. It was, but it was people with drug issues and yeah. addiction issues. And, and uh, if you block it all, yeah. if you do your best to block it up, I think that is a preventative measure. At least something has been done. But it's a, it's a daily occurrence at the moment, Fran, and I simply say I thank you for raising it, you know, allowing me to raise it. It's a safety concern, which I'm doing purely as a safety uh, alert as a member and a, yes. a citizen of Carmel. Well, one of, one of our listeners is saying that her friend saw young people with Hurleys and Schlitters uh, deliberately smashing the windows of those units. So, I mean, that is yep. real vandalism, you know. At the, but at it's, it's pure vandalism and everything, and it, it's the educational thing as well and trying yeah. to tell people, you know, to respect it. We do our best in our schools as well, you know, but it, we all have a common duty to kind of promote, you know, good living and best standard living and, you know, respecting properties, even properties that are kind of vacant and everything. It's you, an ongoing thing. You mentioned our schools and uh, we're reading today that the Catholic primary school managers say their pupils should not be taught what it means to be transgender in a rather strongly worded letter to uh, the government. All sorts of controversy over this, Father mm-hmm. Michael, and apologies mm-hmm. for throwing this at you, but could I just yeah. get your opinion on, on, on that? Yeah, I haven't read the the, the newspaper this morning, friends. Yes. I wasn't aware of this, to, to be honest. So, my my issue, my only concern is um, um, with regards to the Catholic primary Catholic primary schools. They obviously know their remits. They know what is appropriate to teach and not to teach. So, I think there has to be an engagement between the boards of management and the Catholic management school and the government of how to approach this issue. It needs approaching, Fran. I, I it, it does because. Uh, transgenderism and LGBTQ plus uh, issues and everything, they're more and more prevalent every day and it needs to be discussed. It needs to be done in a very pastoral way. I deal with a lot of young people who have issues with their sexuality and I, if I'm not able to um, advise them or guide them, I'm able to refer them to the LGBTQ plus communities here in Clomel and elsewhere and I make sure that there is enough support for them. Um, there has to be a lot of more pastoral support for them on that. Um, as regard the, the, the post-primary school, I know there is a lot of uh, projects that are done mm. uh, in CPSE yes. and everything is much more. And in fairness, Fran, there's a lot more acceptance of a person being gay or bi or transgender in secondary schools than there was in my time in school. And I think that's mm. a positive thing because people aren't being as pressured or as bullied as they were years ago. It's an ongoing issue and discussion. It's something the church is obviously discussing. Um, as regards to primary schools, I say I, I, I'm not aware of it today or the letter, but it is a discussion that needs to be... I'd say one, be, one of the done. most controversial, uh, controversial statements from what they've sent to the government is uh, they're talking about creating division in schools and that it might add to a growing psychological contagion among uh, children. Um, what, what would you read in, in, into that? Is that... I honestly don't know, Fran. Yeah. I would say if, if, like, a lot of um, gay people that I work with will tell you that they realised they were gay at a young age mm. but weren't able to express it. <clears throat> so I think it is something that will have to be very much looked at. And central to all of this, Fran, before anything else, is the person themselves. Yeah. Once they take centre stage, whatever's going on for the person, the young person, that has to take precedence over everything else. So it's obviously it's a careful... Um, discussion that has to be had. Families I know who have gay gay children and gay gay family members are much more accepting now than they were mm. years ago. So it's an ongoing thing in, in society. 
The church itself is talking, the Pope himself has talked a lot about how can we outreach properly to uh, LGBTQ plus uh, people. And there's a lot of that talk even in the Synod that's going on at the moment. Uh, yes, there is a lot of talk, but I think a lot of progress has been made within that talk because we have to talk about these are issues which are affecting people of faith and no faith. And how do we best as a society help the person before any other agenda? And, and I would go along with everything you're saying, but I suppose some mm. people might have concerns about confusion where very young kids are concerned that they just yeah. might get confused by it. So, you know, it depends on how this is approached, I suppose. I managed, and that managed, is where yeah. I think, as I say, I didn't really read the report this morning, Fran. Of course, I understand that, of course. But I think yes. there will be a lot of talk about, you know, how do you approach it, what, you know, you know, once the, the person themselves is the centre of the, the important discussion that's happening, and how do we make sure that the child is protected to be the person that they are to be themselves? I think that will be a good good discussion to have. Um, as I say, I haven't seen the report, yeah. I haven't seen what the letter is, so I can't really comment any further. But I do know working with young people who uh, are LGBTQ+, I think they appreciate at least I sit down and talk to them and I don't judge them. Father Michael, we always appreciate your time. Thank you for Thank coming you, over. Friend. Thank you. God bless. Good, good morning care. to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, that's Father Michael Toomey uh, speaking to us there. And Father Michael is PP uh, Administrator in the parishes of Ardfin and Newcastle and Four Mile Water as well. It's 9.26 right now. I'll be right back. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, many people on to congratulate Father Michael for bringing up that issue of vandalism in Clonmel. One uh, listener on to say, I reared four children in the 1980s. They were never allowed into the town centre until they were working. They played football and hurling during their school holidays. I knew where they were at all times. And uh, one of my sons in the same job for over 30 years. My daughter in her first job for 25 years. The other two are in their positions for years as well. They knew better to not get on the wrong side of me, uh, says uh, one of our listeners. And there you are. I mean, you know, I I know it's not popular to say so, but you'd wonder about parental control where young people are are, are going around and destroying property. And uh, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Uh, Thomas was on um, following the latter part of my conversation with uh, Father Michael and he said Fran it's both trans rights are human rights and uh, we need more awareness the Catholic Church needs to move with the times and the division is already there funnily enough Thomas I thought what Father Michael said was quite gentle and and kind and uh, his reaction certainly was that to me anyway and I'm sure that there's uh, people within the church that would profoundly disagree with his take on things. But there there you go anyway. Now, just before the break, we were speaking uh, to Father Michael about the destruction and vandalism at Marketplace in Clanmill. I'm glad to be joined now by Finn the Gael Councillor John Fitzgerald. John, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. John, I'm going to benefit from your work as a councillor and indeed your profession as an auctioneer as well. So let's start with, with that, if you don't mind. Who owns this property and what can be done about it, John? 
Yeah, it, Father Michael is completely right. It's private property owned by a company called Rimcol Capital, based in Dublin. Um, they've owned it for many years now since they purchased it after the after the collapse of the Celtic Tiger. Mm. And uh, you know, there's been a few businesses operating in there over that time, um, and a few continue there at the moment who have been very unfairly treated on over this situation because. You know, the bookshop, as Father Michael pointed out, and uh, the hairdressers and some of the other things that are, there's a, you know, nearby nearby businesses yes. ha- are having to exist in this environment of mayhem, really, that's happening up there. And it's very, very unfortunate and sad. And that's the company that own it. I don't have any, uh, I, I, we don't know them all that well, but mm. we do have a line into them we've, because we've made it our business to have a line into them. So have they plans, John? They have plans. I facilitated a meeting at my own office last week. Um, in uh, my colleague Declan Pollard uh, actually said, uh, was organising it between senior planners at Tipperary County Council, uh, the district administrator Carl Creighton, and representatives from Remcol and their architects, with a view to where they're going with this. What is the plan? What will get through? What is likely to get through? It was kind of, while it wasn't officially a pre-planning meeting, it was. It was that in all intents. And can you tell us, John, what they're aspiring to do with the site? I understand they want a mixed usage of residential and some commercial there because, as you know, commercial space isn't as... There's not a a, a huge call for it in town given that there's so many vacant units in town. So if there was less commercial units up there and more residential, which is in low supply, uh, we we maintain that the, the place would... Would, would come back to life again. And what but, is the uh, story with the, the Is there a zoning issue there then, John, if there's a change well, of... Yeah, well, yeah, when, any time you go for a change of use, when, yeah. it's, when, there, when there's existing usage there from the time it was, you know, a shopping centre was there, Super, Super Quinn was there and so on. Now, if you're going for residential, you have to go for a, a change of use planning on that. I don't think there'll be any problem with that, but they, were, they, they did bring their, their architect with them to the mm. meeting last week. That was held like you know that was scampered together, and it was it was scampered together on the basis of the awful carry on up there, and um, the you know as as I don't know was a Father Michael said there as well around the corner from County Council office, my yeah. own office, the Gardaí, you know under our eyes in the middle of the day in broad daylight, absolute uh, divilment I'd call it going on, and it, they're very young people involved in it, and um, it's just not acceptable. Now I know that the the uh, Carl Creighton, who's done a huge amount of work on this, has asked them this week, no later than this week, she has asked their contractors to come and do a sealing up job on, on the... You see, it's a firefighting thing. Before Christmas, mm. they, there was a fire lit inside in the old Super Queen, and that was put out, and we boarded that and boarded the other... Person. But then when that, when that one's other one, when you put out one fire... They, they, they go into another. Now, we're not managing it. I want to say that to you. We're not actually... I'm only doing this because, really, I'm a counsellor. Of course, I, we, yes. As, as professionally, we're not being... We've no engagement. We have no service agreement with them whatsoever. Right. But, um, but, John, this has been allowed to go on for the last 10 years, you know. It's been allowed to fall into this kind of uh, disrepair, and it, it seems to be now a place where, where these young kids will gather and, you know, do what they do. Yeah. That's it, and, and but what, why have we been so tardy on pushing the the company that owns this into doing something? Well, you see, the company that owns it didn't own it for the last ten years. Uh, what would have happened there was the whole 
thing went into receivership and over time it got sold and new owners bought it off receivers and, you know, it, it changed hands. Like a lot of properties in the meltdown of the what was the, the boom, mm. um, then, you know, property that was changing hands, just, you know, no, nobody watching. Nobody caring. It's it's private property, as as, as everybody knows. Mm. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that you haven't got obligations to keep it safe. And that's the where you have to mm. try and enforce. And that's where the guards have to try and enforce. But the council have to try and enforce. But they, you know, the council can't go in and they literally do it themselves because it's not there. They can't come inside your gate of your house and a car thief friend no more. They can, you know, they can't go into private property and and just. Right, you know, but but it. where there's a danger to the public, John, yeah, I mean, what right. what powers do they have then? Well, they're doing the putting. They're engaging with the with the, the new owners. They are the Rimcal Capital people. They are putting pressure on them from a point of view of rates exemption. They are putting pressure on them from a point of view of the vacant site property. Uh, you know, tax where where you know where there's vacant property where vacant sites are subject to property tax. And they are in, they are pulling the, like I mean that meeting that was held last week was another example of where they, they, they they're calling them they're asking them, they're engaging with them and they're trying to negotiate with them and I think they are making progress now to be honest right I think so they are making progress any idea about the kind of investment financial investment that would be made there was there any talk of that in terms of what now in, in terms of the, what would be spent on this site have they a budget for for for, for doing this for example oh, that'll be that'll be in excess of 20 million euros Brian. that's that's a huge project there's going to be an enormous um, uh, investment in that like it's like let's put it to you this way years ago and i know people in in upper irish town will know this when the old um when the old um Clonmel foods became a vacant shell of a yes. property that became a, a, a a venue for, mm. for all and for the want of a better word, yeah. uh, for people for to and, yeah. and yeah, for development, as yeah. I call. It. But then they demolished it, and the problem went away. Now the, the demolishment of it, you know, it's it's a site waiting to be developed again. Now you can't demolish marketplace because it's part of the you know the urban sure. infrastructure of the town. It's pretty modern actually. But what you can do is move with quick planning on it. Let these people do their investment and sell these units, these badly needed units, these housing solutions and so on. They, when that happens, when, when the contractors, the builders move onto site, the devil moves away. And, and that's, that'll happen eventually with the Clan Malarms as well. Yeah, have you, you any know, notion what kind of accommodation we'll be talking about in that area? I mean, will it be rental accommodation or will it yeah, be for I'd sale or what, what will it be? I don't know. I, I haven't seen a section of the plans. They have appointed new architects. I know that from the yeah. meeting that we set up last week with them. They, they had been, the council hadn't been all that, uh, you know, happy with the architectural advice that they had been getting. So they, they changed their their firm of architects. This is Rimcall did. Mm. And they I, I understand it would be kind of like duplex housing, uh, you know, at overhead the shop, maybe some of it on the ground floor, but a, a kind of a nice, I call it a Hansel and Gretel type street. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, you know, street, shop, house, flat, yeah. other shop. You it, know, it's things, just that in the know. past, I mean, we've seen apartment projects turn into like almost ghettos and, you know, unkempt and all of that kind of thing too, you know. So, like, are we assured? Because this is in the centre of town, you know. Well, this is in the centre of town and actually individual houses out onto the footpath where the owner have their, you know, where the hall door is the, uh, the access point. Yes. Of, 
that they always work way better than something in a block uh, yeah. that has to be managed by management committee and management company. You know, so oh, this I, this could be lovely. This would be I, I imagine this would be nice. But look, I'm hoping no more than anyone else that this. You know, I have a meeting tomorrow with the um, as a member of the borough council with the, the community policing tomorrow. And I'd be raising all the issues of anti-social behaviour. Well, I was going to ask you uh, about that uh, to end with, John. I mean, are you happy that the area is being policed properly? I mean, you you said you're seeing this yourself on a daily basis. So, well, look, I, I, at Christmas time, the guard the, the, when the fire was lit, the old super, the guards were on the, the spot. They, they, the guards are policing it. I know they are policing it. I, I don't, I don't doubt that they're policing it because they ring me quite a lot because of, I suppose I'm close in close proximity to it, and they ring me. They have some notion that we, you know, one time Pollard's our old, comp- you know, part of our company did man did do work up there in terms of marketplace. So there's some memory in their head that that, uh, that we were responsible on the ground for units mm. there. That's and not do, the and case, do you have we, any we, responsibility for it? None whatsoever. No. None okay. whatsoever. But we, but look, you know, uh, you know, we could well have in a future at a future time, and we'd be happy to. You know what? We'd be happy to do it. Apart from the fact that it makes commercial sense to us to do it, we'd be happy to do it with a view to getting the place. Right. Any, so, any, any idea know, of a timescale? I, I realise planning and all of that is all drawn planning, up. But no, any, any idea of a timescale on this? No, I, I don't. But I think that I think the planners are listening. Like, I mean, a very senior planner, one of the senior planners in the whole county, met them last week. I'd say I, I don't like putting time, you know, timelines on things like yeah, this. Well, people but, would love to know. People would love to know, and I'd love to know, and we will know. We will yeah. know soon. But I think the initial thing, like Father Toomey said, is to get it sealed off, sealed up, right. try and get as much of it, uh, you know, that where people can't be accessing. The, the only thing know. that would worry me, John, and I'm sure it would worry you, uh, Father Michael isn't prone to drama, and if he's telling me that people are in danger here, I mean, oh. that really would alert me big time. Of course it know. is. It's a dreadful. And, like, I mean, as he said there, they're using the breaking glass... The only way you can you can you know prevent the danger in that premises up there now is to seal it, is to box it, completely box it in, seal it in, and right. make it in a way that you can't get at it. That is absolutely, and they have to bring professional builders, contractors down. It's not a job for a handyman. This is a job for to get it done, nailed down, and right. put in a way that it cannot be. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, so this is is the case of patching up uh, what no, already has been damaged. No. This needs some some sort of a, a proper protection exactly. is that it they yeah. need to come in with a firm of contractors and absolutely nail it until the job starts that's mm-hmm. what has to all right john if you if you find out more i hope you'll i hope you'll let us will. know on this all right thanks thanks john thank you good Have morning that. to you about you now in the grail councillor uh, john fitzgerald there also of course uh, respected auctioneer in the town too 1800 938 007 tip fm's tip today with fran curry in association with slatteries of pecan tipperary's main peugeot dealer slatteries garage pecan the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county slatteriesgarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Councillor David Dunn from Carrick was on to us to say with all these long-term derelict sites, we need uh, a use-it-or-lose-it policy. How long are we going to be allowed uh, to sit on sites without doing anything about it, says Davy. Somebody else saying failure of government for years to allow properties lie vacant with no penalties to owners. Uh, look at best practice, a broad compulsory sales order, which means if a property lies empty for a number of years, the onus is on the uh, the owner to either uh, use it 
or indeed it will be sold. 083 311 Now, transgender girls between 12 and 15 may be approved to play ladies football under new guidelines passed by the Ladies Gaelic Football Association. Now, under new rules, transgender women must apply to the LGFA to be granted permission to take part in the women's game. Now, PRO of the political party into Eric Nelligan, voiced his concerns as a coach and parent and uh, many other parents have also voiced their concern about the potential dangers uh, of trans players in sport. And uh, Eric joins me now. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. And thank you so much for for, for coming on with us today. Um, You uh, disagree with uh, this decision, and you're saying that it's concerning and could be problematic for many. Yeah, look, I suppose I have serious concerns. I and Andrew have serious concerns about where it is going. I I caught the end of your conversation earlier on this morning on uh, with, 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 with the parish priest, the Father um, Michael. Yes, yeah, mm. that's right. And look, it's out there. Uh, it, it's an issue that's, that's getting a lot of coverage at the moment. And with the government are moving. Government and government bodies are moving at a pace, and we haven't brought and they haven't brought all the population along with them, along with the people. And I suppose what I'm doing here and what Andrew are doing is we're just voicing the concerns of the people so that we have full knowledge of where we're going, what we're doing, and more importantly, why we're going there. So I suppose. As a parent and as a coach and somebody, I, I just I, I play I play mixed sports. I played badminton all my life, and anyone that's played badminton or a mixed sport like that will know there is a, there is a there is a substantial difference in strength and power between a male and a female player, and that's just simply down to biology. And the the main sport that has done research into this will be world rugby, and what they have what they have said, and, and world rugby have gone the opposite direction to the, the ladies' daily football. They have, they have not allowed uh, trans women to take part in ladies' sports. And they've basically said that competitive fairness cannot be reconciled with self-identification into the female category. Yeah, the, the only thing about that, Eric, is what yeah. I've been reading on that is that that may be unlawful and they may have issues around, around the law where that decision by the rugby um, organisations are concerned. Well, d- doesn't that show you then that there are issues out there that need to be resolved? So... If World Rugby data and research shows that there's a substantial and significant difference between the, the, the strength, the speed, the power to weight, all that type of stuff that makes sport what it is between as somebody born male and somebody born female. Yes. Um, and if the law is now saying that what rugby have done could be an issue, then there's a serious disconnect there when we have the possibility of injury happening. So, mm. like, like I said, like, like Gaelic football is a physical sport. I played Gaelic football for 25 years. And um, like I never played against the girl gone once we were past maybe eleven or twelve years old. But if you watch men's Gaelic football and ladies' Gaelic football on television or in the local club ground, there is a significant difference in how high they can jump and how how hard they hit and things like that. So, with so, your experience, like, then, so tell me about what might result from that. Are you talking about serious injury? Well, yeah. Well, well that's where we're coming from. Is and like as you mentioned in the introduction, this is now going to be brought in for underage underage girls as well. So. If obviously if the application is accepted by this um, the LGFA committee, so I suppose one of the things we're asking for is are parents okay with a transgender girl changing uh, using the same changing room as as, as, a, as a normal girl, so to speak? Um, are are what's the legal ramifications if a transgender girl uh, injures uh, injure causes an injury on the pitch because of the, their size or weight or, or whatever? So there's, there's a lot of stuff that we mm. haven't 
we haven't uh, we haven't found out. Right. But I, I, I'm sure you're well aware of that Equal Status uh, Act, and that prohibits discrimination. So that kind of overrides everything you're saying to some degree, does it not? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? That what we see, what we see, in, we see in front of us significant differences between somebody born male and somebody born female, and we are now saying that we need to disregard all that. We need to disregard the safety of what might happen there. And we just go, we just move with it and we accept it. And some people are uncomfortable with that. And some people are concerned. Like, like I said, I have a daughter that plays sports. And I would hate to think, and she loves playing sports and she plays competitively. She trains, she's out of bed uh, two mornings a week and half five in the morning or something. And I would hate to think that all the work she, is, she does and all the training she does gets, uh, get, gets over, over, gets beaten because uh, a trans girl t- takes part and because of her their physical differences and how they grew up different and how they were born different. Um, their, their natural their natural strengths override all the training she's done. And like I suppose what World Rugby have shown is that um, that the upper body strength for males to females has a difference of 50 to 60%. Speed, there's a difference of 10 to 15%. Uh, power to weight ratio and power and strength to weight ratio is about 30-40%. And that's just theology, unfortunately. And the, the ladies of football, they just made a decision and they didn't offer any clarity where it came from. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I mean, what what um, discussion was there before this decision was made? Um, it just seems to be very, very little. From what we gather, it was actually the PRO of the LGFA in Galway, uh, Daniel Lockery, who, who found out about it and, and who kind of let it, you know, who, who put it out in the media. And basically, from what she has said, that there was there was no consultation, there, no there was zero discussion, there was no advance notice. Um, they haven't released any data to say why why they feel it's okay. They haven't given the makeup of the, the committee that will make the decision. We don't know who's on it. Will it be doctors or will it be sports psychologists? Will it be sporting uh, former athletes? We've no idea. So there's kind of an information vacuum. And that's what we're kind of, one of the reasons I'm pushing this out there, because I promise you, this is going to cause controversy. And you know, I'll probably get a bit of a hit for this. But I don't mind because it's something that we need to discuss and we need to discuss in a mature manner. And we need to come up with a way of, how do we include trans into sport? So one thing I was impressed about is you have, in the British Triathlon Federation, for instance, they have now brought in a third category. So you, you can compete as a male, you can compete as a female, or you can compete in a, in an, it's called another category, or sorry, an open category. And that allows anybody and everybody to enter. So your times and your performances are ranked on people in the open category. And, and we see in rugby, uh, they have made good strides to include uh, tag rugby, which allows males mm. and females and people of all genders to play in a non in a non physical manner. So perhaps, perhaps the way forward is for sporting organisations to to consider things like that. And I know it will start off small, and people might be in favour of it as far, or people might be apprehensive. But as time goes on, and you can see how the the, the male and physical attributes aren't uh, can be accommodated with with people in this open category, that could be a good way of doing it. So are, are, are you telling me that this isn't an anti-trans stance in any way? No, no not at all. And I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want that to get out there because some people will try and portray this as an anti-trans. What I'm saying is, I, look, I have grave concerns that allowing somebody born male playing female sport will diminish female sport. Female sport has gotten a massive profile in the last four or five years. Look, we now hear female results uh, on the on the radio, we see matches on the television. That wouldn't have been the case five mm. or ten years ago. So female sport has really yes. and, 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 and there's an more more thing. people going to see uh, female Correct. sport as well, which and which is a good exactly. thing. Exactly, all Ireland's final attendances are, are are not far off the males. So that's great yeah. to see. And I would I would just hate to see that all this now could be diminished because 
of maybe allowing somebody born male can take part and they have dominated. We, we've seen American sports, sorry, we've seen American sports that yes. when that has happened recently, yeah, swimming and athletics, especially uh, a middle of the road man, as far as I know, he was around when, when he was uh, competing as a man, he was like 700 in the world or something like that. He, he moved into the female category and he's now beating the Olympic champions. And that's kind of, that, that's a little disappointing for all those girls and women that have trained all their life. Uh, Is there any more um, information, though, coming from the LGFA? Like, let's take insurance, for example. What, what, what about that? Again, this is all part of it. There's, there's very like it, this decision was made, and there's been there's been quietness, there's been silence on it. So I don't know what's going on in the background. I I've been in, I've spoken on a number of radio shows like this, and the, the, the reporters and the researchers have tried to get someone from the LGFA on, and, and they haven't been successful. So it seems at the moment maybe they've made their decision. There's now a bit of flack. There's now a bit of questioning going on about it, and maybe they're reevaluating. But I I'd be honest with you, I don't know. Right. We, we have no information, and the legal side of it is like. If, if you take, if I was to go and play sports and take performance enhancing drugs and I was caught, I'd be banned. And what we are now allowing is people with natural performance enhancing abilities take part in that sport, and we're saying that's okay, provided they make an application to uh, a different group. And so, um, do, you, do you have any more information on what the story with showers and changing rooms might be? I'm sorry, I don't, there's a noise in the background here. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm wondering if you have any more information about showers, changing rooms, that kind of thing, uh, what, what they plan to do. Uh, again, that's not there. And because this is happening with, with, with children as well, with minors, with under the age of 18, like, are, will parents be comfortable with that? I, I know I would be, I'd be honest, I would be uncomfortable if my daughters were in a changing room with someone that was a transgender transgender girl and depending what stage in their in their in development or when they're in their in their change they were um like that will, i would be uncomfortable with that now maybe it's maybe i'm old-fashioned maybe i'm not with the times maybe younger people might be less or might be more comfortable with that but i know as a parent well, well, well you have a young daughter what would she think yeah. of this if you don't mind my asking i think she would be perplexed look if, if it was to happen and if look, I, I would not want my daughter to stop playing sport because of this but we would have to work. We would have to work around it. Look, as a male, I don't know. I'm not fully okay. Right. And would you stop her playing sport if this was? No, I, the case. I wouldn't stop her playing sport. But I, I definitely would not stop her playing sport. But if she was uncomfortable, we would have to come up with an alternative way where she could change in a different venue, or maybe arrive changed, or whatever. But or not shower, or, or again, all that type of stuff. We would have to come up with a way. But I wouldn't want her to stop. But some because my daughter, I'm into sport. My family are into sport. My daughter's into sport. But somebody, you know the way. And some children, when they start when they start getting older, their their interests change, and this could it could be the the straw that might might, might encourage some girls you, not to give up sports. We don't know. It's, we're, we're we're very we're very unclear. Right. You you alluded to my conversation with uh, Father Michael earlier on, and just yeah. to, towards the end of it, I asked him about the Catholic uh, Primary Schools Management Association there and their concerns about uh, transgender education as well. Is that something you would sort of have concerns about too? Um, well, I can see, again, I only read the head, I read the article in the Irish Independent this morning, so I'm not totally okay with what, what's in the, in, the, in the document or in the letter. Mm-hmm. But um, from what I saw, is I can understand their position. So, look, I'm a secondary school teacher, and I, I see how trends happen within a school. And, like, like sometimes they're very sad trends. Like, for instance, it, it's a well-known fact, it's a well-known theory out there, it's a well-known yeah. fact that suicide, yeah. that if a suicide happens in a school, sometimes there's a ripple effect and a donor effect. So, what I, what we also know is um, in in 2009 in the whole of the United Kingdom there were 50 cases of 
children send for gender dysphoria uh, assessments, uh, I think it was 2019, 10 years later, that had increased to 25,000. So there's been a ballooning of Right, so so when the CPSMA refer to a growing psychological contagion, is that what they mean there? Uh, that's what I would assume. Again, I'm, I'm just talking because I only read the article. I have yes, read the of course, yeah, so yeah. That's what I would assume they're worried about. And I see this in school. When, 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 when something becomes a fad in school, loads of people sign up to it. That's kind of the way teenagers are. Teenagers... Right, but, but for a lot of children, of course, it's not a fad. It's something that's that's very real indeed. And because it's so so much in the news and everything now, maybe there is a case that that kids need to be educated about this, Eric. You know? Yes, and I'm not saying not educated about it, but how you deliver it is the key. So I'm, I'm coming at this from a secondary school perspective. Yeah. Um, I've had two. I know two children who have gone through who self who changed their who changed their gender. Now, ironically, one of them changed back a couple of years later. But that's just like I only know two people, so I wouldn't put that down to any statistical uh, any statistical accuracy. But that's just just the way it was. And but like schools are very, we want to help children. We are not out, and I teach in a Catholic school as well. We are not out to to hurt children or to make them feel under pressure. But I suppose there's a, there's a, there's a difference, and this is where the the, the, the principals association they, they, they're more in tune with what goes on in school, and they, they have they have their legitimate concerns. So it's not about uh, othering them and, and children who are going through the change process or considering the change process. It's not like it's not like stigmatizing or anything like that. But there is a difference between being caring and compassionate to them, which all schools and all people, all teachers will be, and just talking about and, and releasing information that mightn't be age appropriate mm-hmm. in terms of giving someone like we all went through growing up issues as in questioning our our our, our different lifestyle choices and who we were and what we were. That's the natural process of being a teenager. And I suppose how you deliver it in a way uh, the, the principal's house have the concern that how it's supposed to be delivered okay. might just might not fit in with the development. I of the must story. leave it there, Eric. But thank you yeah. for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning no to problem. you. Bye bye. That's Eric Nelligan there, who's the PRO of N2. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today. With Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Now, big response to my uh, chat there with uh, Eric Nelligan of N2, and I will get back to that in just a little while. But let's go on to something completely different, because recently we spoke to Dr. Jim O'Shea uh, about the publication of his book on multiple personality disorder. He's written several books, but he's written one book called When a Child Dies, about the death of his 13-year-old son. Uh, The book is from his own perspective, and indeed that of his family as well, and Jim joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning, friend. Jim, I have to tell you, this book broke my heart. 
Um, I shed a lot of tears. I'm not ashamed to say when I was uh, reading it. It's it's a unique way to write the book. That was your idea. It wasn't single narrative. You wanted every all the family's I did. A, a, angle on this, didn't you? Yes, I did. And, and it was quite fraught, actually, at the time, because this is a very sensitive issue in our family. And this is about 2008 which was about 18 years after Carl, Carl was it, was killed uh, in a road accident. Um, and and uh, I thought about it and I said, this, our story will help people. Oh, it's very hard. The death of a child is indescribable. You can't really describe the pain that, that we suffer. So uh, I, I thought I'd get my family, because normally the siblings are sidelined very often. We think of the parents and how awful it is for them. And the problem is that, that, that when, it, when, when a child dies, the family is devastated and every member is trying to survive. So I wasn't actually aware of how my children were. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing. And I did some mad things. I, I took my, elder, my, my, my other son back to school the same week because I said he needs to get his leave himself. I don't know, I was like a robot, I think. Um, mm. And and when I saw it afterwards, I felt I I really this was mad. I shouldn't have done this. But anyway, uh, so it was very fraught. So I I wondered would they contribute, and and they wanted to know why. What would be the purpose of the book? And I said this book will help a lot of people, and it has actually. I've got letters from all over the world about this book. Um, so they all contributed to the book, and what I discovered was that. While the pain of a parent is extraordinarily awful, I suppose, it's indescribable, so is the pain of siblings. And I think that there'll be a lot of people today listening to this programme who will have lost children. Uh, And I I want to say how my heart goes out to them as well. We never really understand who other people are in 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 our grief, you know. But if you look at the word bereavement... The word bereavement comes from the Anglo-Saxon word reeve, which is to be robbed of something, which is a very powerful word, to be robbed of something. Uh, and to lo- and I'm talking, too, about, about uh, people who lose children through miscarriages as well. Mm. Or a child can be any age. A 90-year-old father or mother could have a child of 70, so it doesn't really make any difference. But uh, I, I, when I saw their description, they're quite, quite creative. And they were yeah. journaling. They, they actually yes, wrote they down did. their feelings as time went yeah, on. Yes, and they did. And, and, and I suggested that, to them... Uh, that, that we should all keep a journal. My wife kept one, uh, I kept one, and uh, Breda kept one, and, and Bill kept one, and I don't think the other two did. Uh, so, mm. and, uh, and still, they were very eloquent and yes, in, in, in terms of, you know, yeah. describing their feelings yes, and stuff. They were. They were. Uh, I was distraught. I mean, I cried my way through writing that book. You must have done. And it was one of the questions I was going to ask you that, you know, you opened up all of this grief again for yourself and indeed for your family with with this. Did you think long and hard before you did that? I I did, but I didn't realise how the wound would reopen. Uh, It's it's, it's a very deep wound, and it, it, it heals to some extent, but it's always sore. But I think writing the book opened it again, and I, I hadn't realised that. Uh, so hopefully because of the pain that mm. we all re-suffered in, at that time, that it will help people, and, and that, that, you know... I, I think it will. Uh, Jim, as I say, I found it heartbreaking. I found yourself very tough on yourself. 
yes. during the personally tough on yourself yes, that's as well. right yes uh, uh, and you know at some stage I think we might maybe talk about childhood and and uh, my childhood I don't blame my parents but I did have issues with my mother and if we are wounded from childhood and that, that's something 40% of people are wounded from childhood then we don't deal with stuff properly so, for example, I, I went back to school the week Cahal died, which is absolutely insane, and I took my son back that week, as I said, uh, because he was doing his leave insert. I should never have allowed him do his leave insert that year. Uh, so, but, but you felt obliged to your own pupils who were doing I did. their leave Yes, I, I, had, I had honours Irish leave insert, and they had oral Irish, oral Irish coming up in, uh, I think it was March, Cahal was killed in February, the 18th of February, 1990. And I had applied, I always examined the old Irish, and I'd totally forgotten because your your mind is absolutely blank, you know. It's very dangerous, actually, to drive after the death of, of somebody who's close to you. And I remember driving across the main road one evening, barely missed by a car, you know. So uh, our, our brains are shattered, the chemicals in our brains are shattered. It takes a long time for it to settle down. And if we look at, uh, and I'm sure people listening to this, if we lose a child, the question I asked, there were five children, five people, five families on my road, a narrow country road who lost their children. And I was saying, how long will this last? Because the pain is so great that it's unbearable. And none of them answered me. So if somebody asks me now, I'll say, well, for me, the pain, two intense years, the first year was just awful. The second year, the cold reality of the loss uh, comes to the fore. Uh, so uh, I, I will always say that to people now, just because the pain is so awful. And, and I, I've talked to a lot of people yeah. who, who who lost children. I never realised that so many people uh, lost children. So many aspects of this I'd love to, to talk yeah. to you. The irony is that you chose your home in Gartnerhu because it was a safer place for children with less Road traffic. Yes, uh, I, I did actually. It was just outside Thurles. I yeah. come from Gorton Who. Um, yes, I did. It was a. It was, and and uh, uh, there were hardly any cars on the road. We came down in 1971. I came down to teach in Thurles. I used to work in Irish Shell, uh, and I came down to teach in Thurles. And it never struck me. I mean, it's inconceivable to think that you will lose a child. And and I remember that Sunday, I was sitting down. Normally, we go for a drive on Sunday. And I, and the doorbell began to ring really shrilly, and, and for a long time I got up and uh, Alan, who was, was Carl's friend, said, there's been a terrible accident. Now, it never struck me that, that it was Carl, because inconceivable. And then somehow it came through that it was, I went out and he was lying on the road. And, 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 and uh, so I, I was saying to myself, well, he's unconscious now, and um, uh, I got a blanket and put it over him, and... and um, I said he 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 will he will recover. I hope his leg is not broken. And then I was saying, you know, my my voluntary health uh, uh, VHI and will it cover him? These were all the things going around. Uh, yes, because you, you would never uh, you never think. I mean, if you have a very ill child and you, you you eventually know that this child will die, but we had no experience of death whatsoever in our family. Our parents were alive. I'm an only child, so I had no siblings anyway. But we had no experience of death whatsoever. So we followed the ambulance to, to Cashel um, and, um, uh, and and the nurse said, pray hard, you know, the nurse pray hard. And 
I was saying, what is she talking about? You know, uh, I expect him to wake up. Uh, and then they came out and they said, we're very sorry. And uh, my wife went hysterical. And the doctor tried to stop her going in. She just pushed him out of the way and, and went in. And, and Carl was lying on the bed and he was warm. He had lovely hair. He was very proud of his hair, you know. I felt great. I don't know. I felt close to Jesus somehow or other. And I offered him up, but I I certainly changed that later. And I had a, I had a real anger at God, but it was so inconceivable. Uh, there he was. You know, he was warm. I felt him. And the hardest thing for me <clears throat> in all of this was two days later when I had to go and identify him, because there he was. His head was bandaged. I felt him. He was ice cold, uh, and I. That that was the worst thing. It wasn't. It was the reality of it as well. But uh, it didn't. It didn't look like him. And my son Bill and my daughter Frances. Frances was in America. She had come home, and, and uh, uh, Bill went out. He got violently sick. He vomited. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I survived it. I don't know how Frances survived it. The next hard thing was when we had to fill in a form with the doctor. And he was so cold. I mean, if he had even said to me, we're really sorry. This was know. the pathologist, was yes, it? Yes, yeah. so much yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, I never saw him before. That, that was really hard, and I hope that doctors now are being trained to have some bit of empathy, even if they don't feel and it. And he didn't have any no. empathy. No. It was the same as if you were writing about a dog. The the other thing that struck me, you got a bill. Um, I did, yeah. I, I, I really freaked out over that, and I was very sorry that I freaked out over it. I remember the woman's name, and I wrote her a really harsh letter. I was really sorry I did. Um, you know, I wouldn't do so now, because right. people, she just didn't know what happened. But was the bill sent to Cahill? It was. It was addressed Your to Your son, who, yeah, who was killed. Yeah, it was addressed to like it was... A, and, and would you tell listeners what, what they were looking for? Well, just a, the, it was an invoice for the cost of the ambulance, yeah. Yeah, but but that doesn't bother me because I see it, it was the system, whatever system right. they had, you know. But you channeled your anger into that, I, obviously. Exactly, yes. Fran. Yeah. I, I never thought of that. That's what I did. Yeah. I channeled my and by the, was I raging? And, and and anger is a very important feeling that we have uh, when uh, as part of grief. Grief has lots of different feelings like, like loneliness and sadness and mm. depression and bargaining and finally acceptance. And that's the big one with, with, with the death of a child. You never, you can't accept the unacceptable. It's not acceptable for a child to die. But anger, I remember Bill was so angry. He was banging the, the walls of, of, of the kitchen. I was hanging. Your other son, yeah. Yeah, mm. Bill, yeah. my son. Yeah. He, was, he was doing his limbs or... He was extremely angry, and I was very angry myself. Could know. I take you back just a little bit? Um, yeah. Will you tell me about the premonitions, uh, Jim? Because yes. I found that fascinating. Yes, it is. There's a psychic element in our family. Um, you know, my, my first cousin sees ghosts, and she's a very quiet woman. My other two first cousins, um, uh, they also see, see spirits. Uh, my daughter sees strange things. So she was lying on the bed the, the night before Carl was killed and she saw these kind of things around the light and she thought uh, that that her mother had died or something happened. But uh, And what I get is I get physical sensations. And uh, so uh, we went to Dublin the day before Carl died that Saturday. It's actually nice weather in February. I remember we said, we'll go to Dublin. And I got this ferocious headache, which I would never get. And I, I, I couldn't walk. And I sat in a restaurant 
all day until time to go home. Uh, I never, it was only later on. But those premonitions are actually quite common because I did a bit of research on them. Um, so they, a lot of people would have would have that. It could be a bad feeling or... What I get now is the lights, uh, the lights start flashing, you know, I know something bad is going to happen. It happened there a couple of months ago, but anyway. And because of that psychic mm. ability that's in your family, have you had communication with Cahill? Have you? I have, actually, but not through that. There's a medium, and this might sound a bit off the wall, there's a medium that I actually trust. I went to her... Uh, uh, and it, it, I, I can I can give you the name eventually. I have the number. Uh, it's not something that I would normally do, but uh, I was so desperate. I needed some contact with him, and I I read about this medium, who who's who, who's in Stradbally now, uh, and in 1991 I think I went to her, uh, and she said that Cahill was very accepting of. Uh, uh, what happened to him? I don't think I put this in the book, actually. No. Uh, but I must, I must put it yeah. now when I when I rewrite it, uh, and that he was with an old lady, uh, and um, but that he was very accepting. So, about six months ago, I, I suffer from loneliness. I've got this core loneliness, which happens to us if our child isn't right, no matter what happens. It's a core loneliness, which I've written about in, in a book. Uh, so, I, I, well, I'm actually, I'm writing a book on loneliness. You know, so I went to her again. She's a real scattered woman altogether, very natural, scattered. She keeps no diaries, nothing, no, no. Uh, but anyway, I didn't tell her this time why I came. Um, and she said, oh, your son is talking here. You know, the first thing, and I want to talk to my grandfather because I, I love my grandfather, even though I was only a baby when he died. Uh, and... Um, so Cahal just broke in and he spent a long time talking to her, through to me, through her. Uh, and he said, tell tell Dad, he says that um, uh, I have a lot of explaining to do him when he dies. But he said, I only felt a nick, he said. He, he, he's back of his head. He was killed uh, back of the, off his bike. So I only felt a nick, he said. Uh, and then I remember nothing else. So I want Dad to understand that. And he said... Uh, I tell him I never give him any trouble, <laughs> which he didn't actually, you know. So um, it all rang so through. And she said, he's with an old woman, it must be his grandmother. But I said, no, it's not his grandmother because uh, they were they were alive. I think it was my great-grandmother who was a very kind woman, you know. So I might put, might put that in the, in the book. I uh, think you should. Yeah. I think. Did that give you solace, Jim? Uh, because that must have concerned you greatly. What, was he, he in pain? Was he? No, he wasn't in pain. Yes. He said it was like a nick. Right. Like a nick. So uh, did that help you somewhat? It did. And he said if I had lived, Dad, he said, I would have been in a wheelchair, which he would have. His brain was badly damaged. Would you tell me a bit about him? Because he was wild, wasn't he? he there was, he was a wildness like to him. I, I was, uh, I was a very wild child, and he he was like me. Um, and and you know, the funny thing is that uh, he wrote a lot of poetry as a youngster and a lot of stories. And uh, it struck me the other day that that my goodness, you know, here am I. I'm like this. So he was actually like me. Uh, when I look back, he looked like his mother. He was very like his mother. He was very like his sister Deirdre as well. Um, uh, but I could never 
when I look back, you know, I have photographs. I, I did an album. I can never look at the album, really. Most people can look back at the funny aspects of, of, of their children, because children are funny, you know. I mean, I've been dealing with children all my life. I never was able to think about him smiling. I remembered his voice, you know. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't. But last night I woke up at half four for some reason and I was thinking about him. And for the first time I was smiling in bed at half four this morning. Um, at, at, I think we would have been great friends, you know. He used to call me Shiner because, because of my baldness, you see. And I used to call him Grundlewig. I'm going to put that in the book where Grundelweg is just a made-up name, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had this relationship with him. It was, it was just... Uh, and I used to go down and rub his hair at night when he'd, before he'd fall asleep, you know. Uh, so I always kept my feelings in, but I felt, you know, I, 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 would, I, would, I loved my children even though it didn't maybe look like it at, at times. But uh, uh, it was only when I lost him I realised how much I loved my children, you know. And how precious they are, and it's like an amputation, uh, you know. And 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 um, we we looked at how we were in 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 uh, when the book was written in 2008. But I've contacted a few of my children now, in 2023, which is 33 years after his death, to see how are they now. And I was, some didn't really want to talk about it, but I have something here that I'd like to go through. To help parents, I think this yes, would. I think this would help parents. Is this from Breda? It? It's from Breda. Yes, your daughter Breda. Yes, yeah. Breda, the librarian. So she sent me this, uh, and she says, "When you are so invested and so participative in somebody's life, when you remember the tiny beads of sweat on his little nose when he slept, and your arms are around his little, his little warm body, the smell of his baby head, the conversation you had about everything, how much he loved the stories I made up for him." The joy I had uh, when I minded him, losing them is so impactful. Finding healing is essential. I really want to talk to people listening about how we heal. Um, otherwise, your life ends on Sunday, the 18th of February, 1990. So my mission uh, since then has been to find that healing so I could put myself back together again and be valuable not only to myself but to those I love. She said, Carl's death will always be a huge loss. There will always be a missing piece in the jigsaw of our family, but I feel we are no longer fractured. I hope the others feel the same. Carl will always be the uncle who our children will never know, except through our memories and stories. They will never know him, and that has been one of the hardest things for me to accept over the years. He will always be missing. Now, so this is something I never thought about, my grandchildren. So I'm going to dedicate, when I rewrite this book, uh, now I won't be rewriting the story, I'm going to dedicate this book to my grandchildren. And I've contacted the young adults now uh, just to see how they are. The first one had nothing to say. And I see what she's talking about. The second one hasn't read the book. None of them have read the book, I think. I'm waiting for the reply of the other. There are three young adults. Uh, and she's going to come over to talk to me tomorrow evening, Aoife. She's Breda's daughter. Uh, and I want to see how the book will affect her. She wants a copy of the book. And and uh, it's something we never think about. The grandchildren, they have no connection whatsoever with their uncle. Uh, you know, they might hear their their parents talking about it, but they have no connection. 
so if there's no connection, it doesn't mean very much to them. It's just something that happened. So I want to say, so I'm going to dedicate the book to my grandchildren and maybe hope they might read it and see... It's a very, know, very good it's idea. Part of, yeah. their, it's part of their, of course. Part, part plus, of, plus, it keeps Cahill alive. With it them, does. Which, it which does. Is so important. Yeah. yeah. Did you finish that? Uh, yeah. Jim so, Lee? so she says our children would have loved him. That has been frustrating. Trying to bring him, him to life for them, and uh, that's not possible. So maybe the book might and failing. How is it possible to bring someone to life who they have never known? What a struggle that has been. She said this as well. She says, we are close to our siblings as a result of losing him. We were close anyway, but losing Cahill made us appreciate each other more than the fragility of life. I feel we are incredibly bonded as siblings, and that is a blessing. And, and they talked to their mother as well. And this is something I want to say to all the mothers listening to me, that the grief of a mother is very different to the grief of a father because the mother has bonded with the child in the womb after about three to four weeks. So this is a unique relationship that goes on for nine months that nobody else has. Uh, and I remember my wife will, my wife will still cry. If I mention Carl's name to this day, 33, she will, she will cry. Um, I cry at Christmas sometimes. Um, and I remember her saying in the book uh, that she felt like running through briars to hurt herself. And uh, when I became a therapist and did research on, on different stuff, uh, it equates to cutting. Uh, girls in particular cut themselves. And cutting is a way to ease emotional pain, that the physical pain you feel... Uh, diverts you from the emotional pain, which is worse. And and I, I didn't understand that. I said, what does she mean, running through priors, you know? But but now now you understand I, I well, do, well, yes. What it it's, is. It's, I did the equivalent of cutting. Just just a couple of other things, if yeah. I could talk to you about it, because we could talk about this for so yeah. long. And as I say, people need to read this book. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, but you need to read it. Could I ask you about the woman who was driving the car, Jim? Yes. Um, would you talk to me a little bit about that? And... Yes. I mean, you investigated what happened and it was an accident. And yep. I know even at one stage you went through a period of being angry with Carl. For, did, for as you careless. said, he was careless. For yeah. being careless. Yeah, what happened was he was approaching a junction on the road. Now, it, it, you know, I don't know about fate or destiny, but it, it, it had been raining the week before. And this, this girl used to drive a particular way to Thurles, but the road was flooded. She came our way. Now, she approached a junction, a T-junction. Cahal was coming down from his friend, who actually was the one who rang the bell. And Cahal's friend's father was behind him, and he didn't hear the other car coming. So he draw, he went out onto the road, and he was going down to see another friend. So instead of, if he had been turning left to our house, he'd have been fine, but he, had, he went across the road to turn right, and and uh, and he, he was killed. And it's, it's just one of those things. It's almost the if-only if only is always part of grief. If only this had happened. If only that had happened. If only he hadn't a bike. And we all feel guilt. Guilt is also part of grief. So I remember my wife saying, I'm going to buy Carl a bike, you see. And I knew he was wild. And I said, God, you know, I don't know. But then he was he was 12. So, you know, it's only yeah. right he would have a bike. And, and uh, so I felt guilty about that. But my wife didn't, you know. Um, so there's always guilt. We, we'll find guilt no matter what happens. Of course, happens, will. Of course always, you will. Uh, yeah. Would you talk to me about the last... So much oh, of this fascinating... Oh, the driver you wanted to the, 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 the driver, yeah. And, and how you felt towards 
I didn't feel much towards her. Uh, I, I think my children were quite hostile to her. My wife did. Uh, we 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 went to a bereavement therapist. Uh, there were very few therapists at that time, but there was one woman who took us, and uh, and I I think that 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 she made a major mistake. Uh, she bought the tribe ring. We kind of put her arms around her, and it wasn't real, you know. Uh, and the, the 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 girl's parents came to us and. Looking back, it must have been very hard on them to do that. And if you kill somebody, you know, it's a very, very painful mm. thing. But remember, one of our neighbours came down and he, she had worked for him, you see. And he said she was in an awful state. Like, And I was enraged. I said, here we are. We've lost a child and he's worried about about the driver. Uh, but I, I have no great feelings about her. I think my wife is quite hostile to her uh, at the moment, anyway. Mm. Uh, I don't know how my children feel about her. It, it was an accident. He did come out on the road. She wasn't able to react, I think. You know, sometimes we panic, you know. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So a, co- a couple of the smaller things in the book I found to be even the most, yeah. um, uh, you know, just heartbreaking. When, when Mary cancelled... Cahill's children's oh, allowance. Oh, yeah, she she broke down. Didn't of course she? she did. I mean, I I I reread the book recently, even though I didn't have to. And there were little details I thought I'd forgotten, like, and I was in floods of tears rereading it. You know, so I didn't actually know how it'd be today. But uh, yeah, it must have been just uh, unbelievably awful uh, to have to go in and 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 and, and of course she cried. And I remember I gave some talks in bereavement and I said to Mary, I said, what will I tell them? She said, tell them to cry. And I think that's that's very good advice. Of course it is too. Mm-hmm. Um, another detail, if it was to you, it was huge, but I see it as a detail, was the last words, because you and Mary went for a walk mm. and in the course of the walk, um, you met Cahill and his yeah, friend. Right, isn't, yeah. that, isn't that it? Yeah. So yeah. you had last words. Obviously, you didn't know there were going to be last words no, with them, but you no, I can't remember what they were now. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I did. I was joking about something probably, and uh, we were very carefree. You know, uh, yeah. we didn't realize this child was going to be snatched away. We were going to be robbed of him within probably an hour and a half, two hours. You know, um, it's just. I mean, he's in his forties today, really. Um, so we'll never know. And but he'll always be the 13-year-old boy to you. Always 13-year-old. But the funny thing was that this medium I went to, uh, she, she she held her hands up very short to indicate short. And then she put them up. So he has grown. He has grown in wisdom, I presume. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I don't believe we change that much when we die, you know. Um, and, and there's a reason I'd have for that. But... Um, uh, I think he has grown, and I think he's been taught by somebody, you know. Mm. Um, and and finally, one other thing, just the rumours that were put around. Well, that's always the way. But I mean, that I, always happens. That didn't bother me very what much. What do people think, though, that yeah, they, they would do. actually people make up don't, stories? Yes, people around. don't understand the pain of this, you see. Uh, or how hurtful the stuff yeah, that they Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Is the book available to be... I know you're going, there's a reprint happening, isn't there? Yes, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I've taken over the rights of the book because yes. it's out of print. Now, you can still get it on Amazon.uk and uh, very very has handed me over, so I, I'd hope to do that probably in June-ish... Uh, um, 
so you can still get it. It's quite cheap, actually. It's a small book, really. Uh, now, what had happened uh, uh, when I published the new one, it, and you go to get it on Amazon UK, and the same as the last one, Emerging from the Darkness, uh, when I went to look at it, I said, nobody's bought the book after the programme, and I found it was unavailable in Ireland. Right. And that's due to Brexit. So the way you'll get the book very quickly and very easily is Amazon DE. So that that's German, and it'll, of course, the book yes. comes up on if you if you if you do Amazon. Do you? Well, it's it's a must read. It's uh, when a child dies. Uh, mm. Footsteps of a grieving family by Jim O'Shea, and indeed his his family. Yes, as I'm well. going to retitle it: a, a Death of a Child. Death of a Child. Uh, uh, our journey from pain to peace. I think something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, as I say, it's a, it's a must read. I was dreading talking to you today because I was so upset by the book. I said, "Jenny, Max is bad enough for Jim, but so will I. I be able to get through?" <laughs> this as well. I was trying to use as well. Jim, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And we wish we wish you well and to your lovely family as well. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Jim. Thank you. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Our listener says, I lost my only child 20 years ago and I know the pain that Jim and his family are feeling. Another listener on to say, Fran, we lost our child to cancer at four years old. We firmly believe he's looking down on us, whether it's a white feather or one of his misplaced toys that appear when we are feeling down and in need of help. That poor man has our sympathy and he's right. They're not gone. They're just waiting for us, as one of our listeners. And that's um, 083 311 Now, Sinn Féin activist Dean McGraw recently visited the West Bank representing the South East branch of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign as part of an activist trip. And the trip was to occupy Palestinian territories and life under the military occupation for Palestinians, meeting human rights organisations in Palestine as well. And he joins me in a studio. Good morning to you, Dean. Slightly jet lagged, are we? No, no, we're we're okay, and thank you for having me. And we were just talking, like Jim was powerful, and we both felt like I I got goosebumps when he was speaking about Carl. He was incredible. So yeah. uh, that was uh, that was unbelievable. So whatever jet lag I might have had, I'm wide awake now. Certainly, you know. Indeed, uh, most impressive gentleman indeed. Tell me about the trip first of all. Is I mean, you've spoken to me off here in the past about Palestine. Is this something that's close to your heart, Dean? Yeah, look, very much so. And I suppose it's something that I've. I'm re- I, I, I'm quite passionate about. Um, I I I've been a supporter of Palestine for as long as I can mem- remember, and I suppose in in my own mind it was when you think of Irish history and you think of occupation and you think of the struggle that we've been through, the peace process we've been through, and you can trace it back. You identify with people in Palestine when you hear um, when you hear of what what has been happening of the apartheid regime of the con like. The occupation, um, and it's something that I've always been very interested in, and I consider myself very well versed in it. But um, as I found yeah, out, but, but do, do you think that the general population is very well well versed in it? Uh, because they, uh, you, you made the point to me off here. They think it's an ancient, uh, sure, uh, a battle, but it, but it's not. It's relatively recent, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, like we can trace the modern conflict back to. I suppose really you can trace it back to the Nakba which was in 1948 and was when the British uh, state for Palestine um, left 
um, a Jewish state for Jewish people was guaranteed to people from Israel. And people from Palestine, who were already on the land, um, were expelled from their villages in their hundreds of thousands and became refugees. Um, so it, it isn't when... I, I think it's... it's a, Of course there is stuff biblically. like the, the land is incredible and the holy land is incredible. Yeah. But the most... Re, like This conflict is relatively relatively recent um, and the Palestinians lived in peace for hundreds of years before. Yeah, of, of course uh, geopolitics plays very much into what, what's happening there and I suppose particularly the American influence in, sure. in, in Israel and the like. Is that very evident? Is it? Oh, a- absolutely and one, one thing I suppose that I, I wanted to say was language is even charged because the way the media would report on um, the situation in Palestine is they'd use the term conflict Conflict would say that there's two equal sides or there's two sides, you know, knocking seven bells out of each other. It's not a conflict. It's a military occupation. There's one of the most heavily armed superpowers in the world occupying illegally Palestinian land, which is zoned for Palestinian land. It's actually closer. The term would be settler colonialism that we know well in Ireland from the times of the plantations when Britain occupied Ireland. And they brought settlers from a different area to the likes of Ulster and Munster and those plantations. This is actually happening now. In Israel is occupying Palestinian zone land and is moving hundreds of thousands of settlers into the West Bank. Mm. And Palestinians... And being allowed to do so. It, it, the, it's illegal under inter- international law. The UN has passed resolutions condemning it. We in Ireland have condemned it as de facto annexation mm. and called for a halt to the settlements. Yeah. And when you go there, you see just how bad the situation is. The Palestinians are being hemmed in in every corner. Um, When we talk about how I thought I knew, so I would have read vociferously about Palestine, about the occupation, about 1967, about the the lines that were drawn. Yes, the Golan Heights. And and, and I would have thought that I was very well versed in it. Um, I realised when I got there, so I, I prepared myself, obviously, um, when we got to Bethlehem, I couldn't believe, I was absolutely horrified by the way the Palestinians are treated. Uh, under in, the, in what way? I, I, I'll give an example. There's a checkpoint going from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. So just for your listeners, Bethlehem is what's called Palestinian, is Palestinian's own land. Jerusalem and East Jerusalem would be considered very much Palestinian, but it's moving into Israeli zone territory. So you have to go through mm. a checkpoint. At the checkpoint, there is one lane for Europeans and Israelis. I'm just going to move you back from no. your mic just, just a yeah. little bit, if you would. Yeah. yeah. There is one part of it which is for Europeans and Israelis. Yes. And there's another checkpoint if you're Palestinian or if you're Arab. When we were there, we were stopped in our bus. And we saw a young girl, probably maybe 20 years of age, pulled out from a line indiscriminately uh, by soldiers of the Israeli border force, heavily armed with assault rifles. She was a Muslim girl, so she was wearing a headscarf. She was put spread eagle up against the wall. They kicked both of her heels wide. They pushed her head into the wall. They messed with the scarf on her head. And you were watching? I was, as we were watching from the... And they laughed. They were laughing, chewing, chewing gum up in her face. And the girls... The Israeli soldiers were no more than 18 or 19. This very same age as this girl. And a lot of us were rightly outraged. And we were saying, what, what can we do? 
and I was talking to our guide who was a Palestinian and he said, what can you do? The reprisals on her family, if she was to resist or if she was to lose her temper, would be incredible. So, I mean, as far as you, you saw this, so your, your presumption then is that this is happening all of the it, time. It, we it? saw it in Hebron. We saw it in... Um, I saw it, and I know <laughs> this, is, this is mental. Like, you say you're going down the main street of Clonmel from the west gate to the main guard. Most people, I think, would know that walk. There's a checkpoint in Hebron. And if you're me, a paddy, who wasn't born in the land, I can walk from the west gate, say, the tr- whatever it is, down to the main guard, pass, pass by Israeli checkpoints. Mm. If a Palestinian comes to the checkpoint, they will be sent down the quay on a different road, have to walk all the way up around the quay and up to the main guard. A longer trek. So even in the road system, it's apartheid. There's different roads and different laws for Palestinians than there is for Israelis and Europeans. Now, of course, the Israelis will talk about Hamas and they'll talk about the attacks on Israeli Mm. um, areas and Israeli people as well by the Palestinian militant group. Mm. So, I mean, there's some validity in that too, is there not? I I think what people miss in that conversation, and look, we've talked before about Hamas, but they start the conversation with Hamas. They don't acknowledge that they are by force occupying Palestinian land, evicting Palestinians from their villages and their towns. We saw the apartheid wall that is effectively a prison wall that separates Israeli settlers from Palestinians. We saw that the water tanks, the Palestinians have a different water supply. They have to hoard water. The Israelis have and Israeli settlers have 24-7 access to water. So even in the lake of water. Right. But, but, but answer what would be the Israeli um, reaction to what you're saying to me is look at what Hamas is doing and they would yeah. see them as a terrorist organisation. Oh, and look, in terms, of, in terms of Hamas, Hamas are, they are the organisation they are. But for the Israelis to try and say that they can illegally occupy an area and expect the people not to resist. I'm not justifying uh, fundamentalism. I'm a secularist myself. But you create a vacuum and you create a reaction in the people. If you occupy a country, if you keep the people as third and fourth class citizens, if you beat them on the streets, if you fire tear gas into their refugee camps, if you evict them from their land, if your Israeli finance minister says that a particular Palestinian village should be wiped off the map, is it any wonder that Palestinians would resist? Is it any wonder that Palestinians could be radicalised? Is it any wonder that we have a state which has different laws for different people? Apartheid, occupation, military. It's absolutely horrendous. Thing. Right, and as you say, in other places all over the world, including close to home, you see that that is the result of that sort of occupation. Is that what you're saying? Certainly, and I, I think it's, it's that... It's so unbelievably sad but look you don't have to take it from me when I was there there's a village called Horara and there was what was called a pogrom do you remember the Bombay sure. Street burning yeah. in 1969 yeah. in Belfast where loyalist mobs and the RUC stood complicitly with the loyalist mobs when they burned Catholics out of their home creating dozens and hundreds and thousands of refugees flooding to the south that was what's called a pogrom mm. it was an ethnic clash mm. clash is again quote-unquote, what they use. In Palestine, in that village, 400 Israeli settlers 
came into that village. The IDF were also there, the defence forces. Those settlers burned businesses, burned cars, killed the Palestinian, burned livestock. They burned anything that could be of any use. And the Israeli finance minister, um, Smotrich, said in response to it, you know, you can think, okay, these are extremists or whatever, you know, okay. He said that the village of Horwara should be wiped off the mast, wipe off the map, but not by individuals taking the law into their own hands. He said it should be wiped off the map by the force of the Israeli military. Wow. So that was condemned. And it, you know the, with the way the US goes, that was condemned by the State Department in the US. It was, com- it was condemned by Joe Biden. It was a supre- it's a supremacist ideology. To say the Palestinian, a village of people, of men, of women, of children, should be wiped off the map. And the outrage, there was outrage in Palestine, there was protests. Did you hear about that before I came in? Did people on the, did people hear about that in the EU before they came in? And why do you think there's a lack of, you know, broadcasting and writing about that? Is it a fear of being posted as being anti-Semitic if you... If you're critical of Israel in any way, is that, I, is that it? I think so. I, I, I think, I think it's 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 a casual blind eye being turned, you know. And I am um, I'm not any bit religious, and any type of fundamentalism I disagree with. But we heard about the discrimination against Palestinian Christians, uh, also about Muslims. Mm. This isn't a necessarily a religious thing. This is being discriminated against because you're Palestinian. And anti-Semitism is a vile, horrible and toxic ideology and we need to rail against that. And for the people that would call for um, a mass killing of the Jewish people, they're disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. But being labelled as anti-Semitic for disagreeing with the state policies of Israel and the apartheid regime is a complete barrier. Do you you find it particularly interesting that the Jewish people who have gone through so much Mm. are perpetrating this on the Palestinians? I, I think we have to be clear here. The majority, Zionism is this Jewish state for Jewish people. Yes. Um, That isn't the majority in Israel. There was hundreds of thousands of people clashing with the police in Israel, Israeli citizens, because currently the Israeli parliament, along with the military, is trying to gut the judiciary. They are trying to give the government and army a veto over judgment, so there's no independent judiciary. There was hundreds of thousands of Israelis out protesting at that. The people of Israel want to live in peace. The ordinary working class people of Israel want to live in peace. The ordinary working class people of Palestine want to work want to, want to live in peace, have their own have their own state, have their own identity recognized, have the same laws applying equally to everyone. There are very powerful people in a minority that are backed by massive capital and massive money in positions of power that misrepresent the, majority, the will of the majority of the people. And I think that we have to be very, very clear when we're talking about that, that to have a blanket approach to the people in Israel, because I've met left-wing mm. people from Israel who face persecution for speaking out but against the, discrimination. The, the kind of powerful elements that you're making reference to, uh, Dean, um, would have me be very pessimistic, because, I mean, there's been uh, peace talks taking place there for, what, 25, 30 years mm. at least, and they always come to nothing. They always come to death and destruction again. I, I, I suppose peace talks and the Oslo Accords with Yasser Arafat signed 93 or 94, yeah. like, if, if, if we look comparatively, um, 
coming from a Sinn Féin point of view, I'll have to get this in. We're moving closer to unity all the time. If you look at our situation after our truce and our peace agreement mm. in 1998. Well, you'd, you'd have a certain you know, amount of disagreement on that. I, I, I would, but yeah. I feel, I, but you can see that, I suppose, that nationalists are taking self-determination into their hands. It's it's becoming a more diverse society. The old Protestant state for Protestant people is defunct. Um, since the peace agreement, it's actually gotten worse. Mm. Israel has settled more people. The Israeli government has settled more people. When we went down, and this is just, again, it, this is horrific, Like, but in 1994, there was a guy called Baruch Goldstein. He he was an extremist Zionist uh, who grew up in Brooklyn, the United States, and was radicalised. And again, it was Jewish power mm. or whatever that 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 was his that was his. So he was he was an extremist. He believed that he had a God given right mm. to the land that a Palestinian was living on. Mm. Essentially, he went into the Ibrahimi Mosque. So Ibrahim Mosque is where Abraham, the prophet Abraham, in the Old Testament is buried, which was a mosque at, in, at the time. Um, he entered even though it was completely surrounded by IDF soldiers, and he murdered 29 people. Wow. The response to that was that there was a dispute about the mosque and ownership of the mosque, and obviously it's a holy site in uh, for Jews mm. as well as Christians, mm. as, you know, most religions. Yeah. Abraham was a seminal figure. They have now, in response to that, they have put more checkpoints for Palestinians, and they have divided the mosque into two parts and claimed one half as a synagogue. So one side of the mosque is for Muslims, the second side is a synagogue. They have a wall going up in between it. So the settlers have their access, and the Palestinian Muslims or Christians who wish to pay their respect, and as us, we had our access from the other side. But in response to the massacre, they partitioned the church. It's incredible, isn't it? Where where do you go from here on on on, on this? Because it's, you, you feel kind of helpless in such a huge, con- you don't yeah. like the word conflict, do you? Um, <laughs> but but I mean that's what it is to some degree anyway. Um, you feel helpless about. It. I mean, what do you do? There's such vested interests here. There's you know. hugely. But uh, the Palestinians are great crack. Um, we had such fun. Like I don't want to, like I don't know did did Emma show you the video of us dancing? We won't be winning any awards for doing traditional Palestinian dance. But <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. The dry humor, uh, and they love us. Like they 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 love the I support can imagine, of Ireland. Yeah, I can so for yeah. us, it's very clear what they've asked us to do. It's to lobby our policymakers to right. make it unacceptable. And, th- and that's what you're going to do. 100%. All right, okay. Dean, good to see you today. Thank thanks, you, friend. Thanks very much. And mind yourself. You, you, you too. Uh, news and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Good morning, my good Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now we're with you every weekday morning, of course, from nine. And this morning I uh, spoke to Father Michael Toomey uh, about the increase in uh, vandalising and uh, all sorts of awful stuff uh, happening 
uh, in Marketplace in uh, Clonmel. Uh, windows and doors smashed and all of that kind of thing. Here's a little of what he had to say to me just after nine this morning. And it seems, and someone asked me, why has it happened in the last few weeks? I don't know. It's just, it has happened. Right. The nights are getting, you know, brighter again. And, and who are, I, I don't who know are these thought. young people? Or where are they coming from? Or? Well, the, the lady who told me, I asked them, were they wearing a school uniform? And she said no. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that's the other obvious answer. And I do, do you know, I'm, friend, I'm not going to blame the young people for this either. I am. Ah, uh, no, Father Michael. No, no I'm really. not going to blame them directly because if you see something like that and you're a young person and, and you're with loads of people and the way society is, I dare you, go on, go on, go in there, I dare you. That's, that's the, the psyche of young people. But if you had it boarded up, it would restrict them from doing such things. Now, I'm not saying they're innocent, friends, certainly yeah. not. They have done damage here. I'm not, not defending it. But I'm saying that is the psyche of young people. When I work with young people, that is what it is. That's what we all did years ago when you saw something odd in the, in the field or in the streets, there was something there. But if you try, prevention is better than cure, Fran, that's my, my point. If they prevent young people from going in and doing damage, it's not just young people either, I'd say. It could be elderly, uh, older people as well going in there. It was older people who were in the common arms. So it's not just youth. It was, but it was people with drug issues and yeah. addiction issues. And, and if alcohol. you block it all, yeah. if you do your best to block it up, I think that is a preventative measure. At least something has been done. But it's a, it's a daily occurrence at the moment, Fran, and I simply say I thank you for raising it, you know, allowing me to raise it. It's a safety concern, which I'm doing purely as a safety uh, alert as a member and a, yes. a citizen of Carmel. Well, one of, one of our listeners is saying that her friend saw young people with Hurleys and Schletters uh, deliberately smashing the windows of those units. So, I mean, that is yep. real vandalism, you know. At the, oh, at it's, oh, it's pure vandalism and everything. And it, it's the educational thing as well and trying yeah. to tell people, you know, to respect it. We do our best in our schools as well, you know, but it, we all have a common duty. That's Father Michael Toomey speaking to me just after nine o'clock uh, this morning. Don't forget the Marty Party. It's coming to Limerick for the first time ever to the uh, University Concert uh, Hall there. It's happening this coming Friday and we're celebrating that by uh, having a pair of tickets to give away on the show every day this week. And we'll be speaking to uh, the great Marty Morrissey on Wednesday. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. So if you want to win a pair of tickets, it's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put the Marty Party at the end of your conversation, Contribution, we will pop you in to the draw. Now, you'll often have heard me speak about St. Declan's Way. It's a pilgrim walking route linking Cashel and Ardmore. And it follows the route that Declan took when going to Cashel to meet St. Patrick in the 5th century. And St. Declan's Way walk kicks off on March 18th. I'm delighted to be joined by author and educator and hill walker John G. O'Dwyer. Good morning to you, John. Good morning indeed, Fran. Thanks for the invite. You're very welcome indeed. Great to see you again. Um, this is great that this is happening, isn't it? It is. It is fantastic. I mean, it is... I suppose what I think has been happening to some extent in Irish tourism is there's been a kind of an urbanisation of tourism. You know, it's moving into Dublin, into the big centres, Killarney, and rural tourism has been dying out. And I think mm. we spoke about that the last day, how the rural B&Bs are declining. But I think Pilgrim Walking and what these people in Knock Me Down Active who are organising that are doing is that, you know, they're bringing spending, they're bringing people back into rural Ireland. And of course, when people are walking, they tend to 
to spend nearby the route. So it's a win-win situation for everyone. And of course, it's all volunteer effort. And I mean, I won't claim, I'm just kind of speaking on their behalf here, yes. but the, the nuts and bolts on the ground is all done by volunteers. Isn't it terrific altogether? Um, what about accommodation, John? Mm. Because that, that's an issue uh, nationwide, isn't it? Is it an issue for walkers? It is, yes. Yeah. It, on, this, on this walk now, you really have to travel. In other words, we'll say all the accommodation will be gone in care, gone in Lismore, gone in Ardmore. Now, it's great, I suppose, people have to travel a bit and a good few now are staying uh, here in Clonmel. But it is a big problem. We have allowed tourism to urbanise to a large extent. And that has meant then the knock-on of that then is that the rural B&Bs are closed, are, have closed down. So how do you, without uh, accommodation base, how do you ignite rural tourism in these rural areas? And that is one of the difficulties. And we certainly have, you know, on this these walks, and anyone who's not doing it, there's no doubt that around Goaton Bridge it can be difficult because one of the stages stops there and another one of the stages down at Aglish. But a fantastic thing is that the monks, and we were out there, weren't we? Yeah. But the monks yeah. at Mount Mellory Abbey, they have a, a hostel, a pilgrim hostel open there, specifically for St. Declan's Way. And if you walk it in six days, you will end up in Mount Mellory on the third night. And I think on a pilgrim walk, that's something to be experienced. So, you know, uh, there, while it's, we're losing a lot of accommodation, that's one of the positives mm. from that has sprung directly from this route. And you spoke to me before, you would like to see the whole tradition of B&Bs to emerge again, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You know? I think when we are doing something, and we haven't been doing it up to now, when we're putting in a new project like St. Declan's Way, like the new path down in Wexford, it should be an integrated process. So as part of that, then, grant aids should be available, enhanced grant aids should be available to local communities. We'll say in this case, mm. some you identify a need around Goaton Bridge where you're not competing with anybody else to create a new B&B there as well as that and down in Aglish mm. as well as that there should be it should be all part of that package because I think they were the lifeblood of rural Ireland which you'll know yourself you maybe 20 years ago plus 20 B&Bs in Cashel now three it's incredible. Now, you put this out there, you got a lot of national attention for it as well. Has anything been done? Has, no. <laughs> no, i say that is probably the thing. This is well, not the first thing I've put out and drawn national I know, yeah, but you'd it. imagine, I mean, this is our tourism we're talking it about. It is. Here, you know? I think the Minister for Tourism has to look at it. Now, I did mention this, in fairness, the Board of Tourism Ireland were down in the Cashel Palace and I met with them individually and I spoke to them exclusively about St. Right. Decton's Way and they were all hugely impressed by it. And, of course, that is the thing, you know, getting things out there. Many of them had never even heard of it. But I also argued for the fact that with the development of walking and pilgrim paths, you need to develop B&Bs along with it's part of the product and yes they all, you, you certainly do. all said, said yes and they were very amenable to that kind of thing so right, let, <laughs> let's, let's see some action I on keep this. trying, yeah, yes yeah. Um, The spiritual aspect, is this our Camino? Yes, I think it is at this stage because while is the Camino out in Spain is much longer and if you want to you can walk on it for six or seven weeks. Most people go out and they walk the French Camino for one week mm. and the St. Ecton's Way can be done if you're reasonably fit in five days. I prefer, I think it's better to do it in six days but that's the average amount. One week's walking is the average amount of the Camino. That's what the market is, is demanding but I think if you look at the United 
United States or whatever, there is very little awareness. I would say if you went in to the tourist office in uh, Los Angeles and you asked somebody there, I'd like to do a bit of pilgrim walking in Ireland, they'd say, we probably don't have them. I mean, you know, I think the powers that be haven't been good at getting the message out there. What it certainly is and should be marketed as such as uh, uh, not the Irish Camino, an Irish Camino, but remember, we stick to our own language, particularly in Shockton and Gaelica. It's a Cosson Ilrachta, a pilgrim path. Uh, tell me about uh, what's happening then. Uh, the 18th of March, that, that's the first phase of it, is it? Uh, Cashel to Care? Is yeah, it starts off from Cashel to Care. And now, I mean, there are, on every one of the stages, there's a minimum of 150 people booked in. So it's pretty heavily booked. But there are still some places available on nearly all the stages. So it will start in Cashel. People will go to Care. Everything is done for them. Have a cup of coffee there if they want to, if they're waiting around. Be bussed uh, up uh, to to uh, Cashel. And then they start then their walk from the Rock of Cashel and they walk down to Care. When they get there then, uh, they'll have refreshments there uh, in the local uh, community centre. And then, of course, the important thing is they just walk their cars or whatever transport they have are parked there. So the logistics of doing a linear walk is sorted out by Knock Mill Down Active. The next day they will walk to, to uh, go, park at Golden Bridge mm. and be bus back to right. care. And how does it work, John? Are they led? Are they informed as they go along? How does that work? Well, it is waymarked, but there are marshals all along the way, and how the marshals tend to operate is they tend to cycle. So they tend to be along with them. They're ahead then maybe at vital crossroads and that just for safe crossings and that kind of thing. I mean, these people are really Really, really experienced at mm. doing this and I've been with them a lot and it's always a totally seamless and I'm amazed, I mean they are able to use volunteers almost with military discipline they're always there where you want them so I think it's one of the great examples of I think, you know uh, a com- com- community rising up Phoenix-like and creating for its own area. Isn't it great? Will they be given some information about where it is they're passing and you know They will indeed, yes, yeah. absolutely I mean, that is the thing now. If they're with a guy there or whatever, they will, and we'll yeah. talk about the Rock of Cashel. I've been um, sequestered to actually give them a send-off. Have I'm you? supposed to be saying a few words up there, Very so I'll certainly talk about what's along the way. Of course, you were born in the shadow of the Rock of oh, Cashel, but there's yeah. also the Minican Abbey, there's Loch Kent as well as that, and then, of course, come into care and the great Norman Castle dominates the place. So I'll probably be rattling on about that, but when it comes then, whoever is starting them off in care will have Very to do good. that. But they will. They'll certainly know remember St. Declan's Way is like the Camino I have walked the Camino as well you know there's antiquities around every corner on the, on the Camino and there is as well down in in, in, down in, in, in St. Declan's now, You say there's very few places left so it, but I mean if people want to have a go at, at getting on board here how can they do that? Get on to St. Declan's Way and book through St. Declan's Way absolutely That's and, you know, Way. E, is it? Yes, on, Declan's, sorry it's the um, that, that uh, website stdeclansway.ie or they can uh, email info at stdeclansway.ie as well but you can book directly on Eventbrite right. there Can you do one of the stages or two of the stages do you have to do all of the stages No you can do one about. stage if you wish so you will get heavier booking on some stages than another for example the one the stage which goes from Golden Bridge down to Lismore because it picks up Mount Mallory Abbey along the way and the beautiful crossing of the Knock Me Down Mountains that's always the one that books out first so if you're thinking about that stage which is stage 3 get in there right away and, and book right. it up. Now, uh, I presume that people are walking this all of the time, not just mm. at this particular time. People, oh, yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you need, that's the way with pilgrim paths, but you need more logistics. In other words, then, yeah, you're going to put a rucksack on your back and do it in a pilgrim way, so you stop in care, no problem getting accommodation. Then maybe you get down to Golden Bridge, you know, um, you may have to walk quite a bit to get accommodation off the route. It is a much more challenging way to do it. So the way Knock Me Down Act of doing it is totally seamless, but somebody can put a rucksack on their back and go the whole oh. way uh, down along, and of course it's fully, fully Waymart as well as that, or what your simple thing would be, the first stage park your car in care, get a taxi to bring you to cash walk to care and do that the whole way down along as well as that. Very good. Are there future plans to make this longer or incorporate other areas into it? No, is I the, don't. This is it now? This is it, is it because, okay. I mean, the important thing is you must be walking in the footsteps of okay. Pilgrim's yeah. Pass. Yeah. So some people have suggested, could we not bring it up to Holy Cross? But there's no evidence. In fact, we can be absolutely certain that St. Declan never went to Holy Cross because Holy Cross Abbey would have been built about 600 years later than okay. the time of St. Declan. <laughs> so that would... Uh, right. that would and and do you find that the people who might like to take part uh, in this, that they want it to be authentic? Is that... Is that yeah, is they that... want the authentic feeling. Yeah. I have written a book about the Kerry Way as well and I have written about the Pilgrim Paths of Ireland and they're quite different. This is authentic. It's a a sense of walking into the past, a sense of uh, seeing the antiquities along the way and feeling that you're walking in the footsteps not only of a saint but of Pilgrim's Past as well as that. When you were on the Kerry Way, a big selling point would be you're now in an area almost that nobody has ever walked before. That's what they like, the escape, the austerity of it and getting away from, from... human civilization. Uh, what we are doing on the Pilgrim Path is walking through human civilization, but into the past. That's a lovely idea. You explained that so, so, <laughs> so well, indeed. All right, so from the 18th of March then until April 30th. And it, it's every weekend, is that Yeah, well, it's, it is? It, they're doing it, I suppose. Uh, they're, now, uh, they're doing it in five stages yes. to make it more convenient and more attractive for people. So they, they're going to walk it then in five stages. So there's two stages on then. They try to have a holiday weekend on a holiday weekend so that when on the uh, Monday people can rest. So you have, uh, sorry, you have the bank holiday then on St. Patrick's Day. We don't, you don't walk St. Patrick's mm-hmm. Day. So they're on the 18th, 18th. and 19th yes. then. And then on Easter, they're only doing the 8th then. They don't do Easter Sunday because it's such a family day and that people would like to go back. And then they do two days again. So uh, at the end of April, the 29th and 30th. And the great thing about that, of course, is if you walk even a week on the Camino, you know, unless you're very careful of your feet, you almost inevitably end up uh, with blisters. I climbed all the high alpine peaks. I went out there first time ever. I got blisters because remember the pressure when you're in the Alps, every step is different. The pressure is always the same, yeah. much the same. So you have to be careful about that. So I mean, the great thing is that if people are foot sore, they have blisters or whatever, they have a few weeks to recover. So it's it's a, a really fantastic way of doing it. But I would think anybody can organise it, talk to the accommodation along the way, and maybe come down during the summer and walk. In uh, St. Declan's Way, and then try to spend, leave a few bob right. in the local community. It seems to average out about 20k each. Yeah, each 20k, phase that's it. Each stage of it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you're doing it in five stages, it's actually an average of 20k. The right. route is 115 kilometres. I now, uh, when, and I have written, I have put it into my book, and I'm doing it in six stages. So I'm even, even nicer. And that will be coming out at less than, in other words, about 19k per day. And that can 
can make a difference to some people and of course as well as that it gives you the time then to stop and look at Ladies Abbey and the Liam Lynch which monument is all which is coming up now they'll be passing by that as well so indeed, you know yeah. it's fantastic and I think you know this is the way slow tourism I mean Falsh Ireland I've been arguing this is one thing I think they may have listened to I've been arguing for a long time that up to Shannon up along this area slow tourism is the way to go I was at a presentation there lately and they had the slow tourism proposed for the Irish Midlands so Maybe they listen to me. Uh, maybe they, maybe, maybe they, they will they, indeed. They, made it up themselves. They, they get together of the hotel federations happening in Kerry, I think, today over the next couple of a couple of days. Yes. And of course, one of the big challenges now is whether or not hotels hold on to yeah. uh, Ukrainian refugees or not, as the case may be. Is this going to be the big challenge for tourism this year, do you I think? I think it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think then you have a double cost, because first you have the cost of looking after the Ukrainians. I think we should do that. But what nobody anticipated is the loss of overseas revenue, which would come if hotel spaces are not available. So that would be a particularly double cost to the Irish economy that wouldn't be suffered in any other country. And we are so dependent on tourism. I don't know. I have no idea. But I mean, it must be a temptation for a hotel. Rather than take the risk yes. that you open up and people will turn up, you have a guaranteed income source there. All, if, all year round, all year uh, round. as opposed to the seasonal sort yeah, of... Yeah, and you, if you want to, you can get a house in Malaga and live out there, you know, compared to running a hotel. So I think it's definitely a very, very big threat. And we have to look at that. I mean, um, how much we should help the Ukrainians, but how much we can absorb in a relatively small country that's very highly dependent on tourism. Right. I think that hasn't been taught through. But then I think government but is generally any, by any, any conversation around this is, is shot down immediately. Well, that's know? it, absolutely, because the problem is you're seen as being, you know, anti-Ukrainian. Yeah. And of course, everybody there, genuine refugees coming in here. But we have a we are hugely dependent on tourism. So it may be time for other countries who haven't taken as many per head to fess up to the table and take their, their share. But I mean, we should continue to help them. But I think we have to look at that. And until we can find alternative accommodation for it, I think it's very difficult to see that we can keep taking them at the rate we are. All right. Something else you're going to talk to me about today, and I'm delighted you are, because of course we find stories of this every single year. People getting lost on the mountains, and you know, it's a beautiful day out there today. People might be tempted and stuff. What happens if you get lost? What should you be doing if you get yeah. lost on the mountains? Do you mountain? remember the time you got lost? The I do. The, yeah, you went, we went I to I knew you were going to break that up. <laughs> yeah. Three or four hundred yards above Clanmel. Absolutely. Well, totally is, disorientated in such yeah, a short time. You can it just really totally disorient. So if yeah. there is mist up there, what tends to happen sometimes is that people walk around in a circle, you know, yeah. and they come back and they, and until they get absolutely exhausted. So the one thing, if you're going to do anything at all, if you are going to move, and you now, if you're going, if you're able to ring Mountain Rescue at that stage, you're probably better off to stay in the same place so that they can find you and not to move. But if you do move, I think the important thing is to move in a straight line. Now, and remember when you were in school, they used to talk about the prevailing winds being from the I southwest do. in Ireland. Yes. So you will find that if there's a bush there or whatever, you will have a, you will have wind sweep on it and it will point generally northeast. But there may not be a bush around when you're high up on the hills. But the mountain grasses, they will all tend to lie in one direction. That's generally northeast. But it doesn't matter. If you follow the lie which they're going, you are going to go in a straight line. 
So that is one of the things to remember as well, is that, you know, if the situation isn't too serious, mm. right? Another thing would be... But the straight line could have you going the opposite y- direction. Well, at least you're not going around. Yes, but the point is that if you go in a straight line, barring you come to a cliff, most likely you will come off the mountain. Okay, it may not be exactly beside your car. Yeah. And then you may be cursing and swearing and talking about that old fella, John But that's Dwyer, a good that tip. Day. That's yeah. a good tip. You could, yeah, you can do that. Right. As well as that, then, if you keep going in a straight line, sooner or later you'll probably come across a stream. As well as that, in mist, you can listen. Can you hear a stream? If you can, move towards it. And then all streams go downhill. So you think, well, that's it, the problem is solved. Mm-hmm. The only slight problem is what happens if the stream goes over a cliff? And you, that could happen in the Comoros. So you may have to work around that as well as that. But again, you might be able to go left and right. But again, if you're following a stream, seams don't go in a circle. The main thing is that at least you're going in a straight line. Right. Technology. Yeah. Then, if you want to, then everybody should have it on their phone, which is uh, an, an app which shows the Irish grid reference. And before I came in here, I looked up where we are now. And we are at, 20, it's, it's a six-figure one we use for maps. And we are at, at 22.3.23.4. And if we then, you see that, you see, that's what you should have had with you there. But if you see that, it's in the door. So there's 22, right? I right. come down along here until it intersects the 23 line, right? And that's 22, 23. And that box there then, you see that box? Mm -hmm. That is a one kilometre box, and we are within that area. But then if you look at that, you also see, you see I have three there and four there. So it's the old thing is in the door and up the stairs. So Mm. first you go across the map. So if I go three, we'll say to that line there, if I go about... Uh, one third of the way across I get to about there and then I'm coming up up from the bottom and I get four about four tenths of the way up and there you are bottom of the floor very good indeed that'll now, tell you now that's on a physical map mm. but you can have this on your phone you can have it on your right. phone as well as that but, There's all but kinds will, of will, it, will it tell me where I am yeah well then you know where you are right, right. but the next thing is then you have to know you know where you want to go okay. and that's where a compass is pretty useful because then you'll say well the car park is north east of here right okay. and uh, so you walk then from there in that direction in other words it's very hard to find your way to somewhere it's like the Kerry man if you don't know where you were in the first place <laughs> the Kerry man would say so this tells you I think everybody should have it on their phone and remember if you ring Mountain Rescue then you can give them this is a six digit one which tells you to within 100 metres but it's a heavy helicopter or mountain rescue, they'll be able to get your position to within one metre with maybe five degree, five metres of, of, of inaccuracy. Good. So they can come straight to you. With no and that rescue. app is readily available? Oh, it's what, available. What, what is it called? Irish Grid one, and they're, they're all up there. I think okay. everybody who goes out should have that on their phone. But remember, the other things never depend on it. It may not work when exactly you want it. So if you're going to be out in mist, these are desperate situations. Join a club, learn, this, learn how to navigate, have a map with you, have have a compass with you and have this with you, your phone and everything else. But it's like I always think, you know, it's great if an autopilot can fly you over to New York. You still want the pilot to be able to fly the plane, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, do. <laughs> you do indeed. Um, just general advice up here, because whenever you come on with me, I have this feeling that people say, yeah, I'm definitely going to do it this time. I'm mm-hmm. going to get out there and I'm going to go walking. 
advice, John? Yeah, well, I think the thing is now we're coming up to the very time of the year when, you know, spring is starting to spring. People are out there. The sap is rising. I would suggest go you do small things. Maybe uh, if you're up around mid-Tipperary, you know, we were there. Walk into Darina Flan. Isn't that absolutely it's fantastic? incredible. And it's flat and it's an easy walk. And, yeah. yeah. The 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 the, the uh, we'll say loop out. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mixed up because the talk to the really. I was going to say Kirtle the Hinch, but uh, the inch loop as well yes. as that. You know, yeah. I could oh, remember yeah. it in Irish. I couldn't remember it in English, but it's inch loop, and uh, that's one as well as that. They're fantastic. They're flat as well as that. And I think you know, start up slowly. But I would say the important thing is all the clubs provide low level walking as well. I know mid tip. Why not join their Friday evening walks? They'll be starting at the end of April. But I'm sure if you look up, you know, peaks or you look up Enoch Shoe or any of those, they all do introductory walks as well as that. And you know, I think you know, once you get into the habit, I always see it, it's a gift that keeps on, on giving. And so many people have come back to me and maybe said to me, The most important, you know, the one thing I really thank you for, you introduced me to Hill Walk. Of course, yeah. And, that's what I and as you've proven to us in the past, age is not a barrier no, to get involved in this, which is, yeah, which yeah. is terrific. I hope not now because I'm getting <laughs> going that way myself. Go way out of that. Uh, tell me about the book, by the way. Are you rewriting a book or rejigging a book? Book, yeah. Uh, well, do you remember I had 50 best course. Irish walks yes. out? Well, now, I mean, that did, for a guidebook, it did re- reasonably, it uh, did very well, actually. And it sold out. It came out last May, and it sold out now. I mean, there's probably still a few in the shops. It sold out of all the stores. So we brought, I worked over Christmas then on a new edition, and I put, the, put it to the publisher, and they were happy to go with it. We're putting in St. Declan's Way, because nobody had written about it up to that. And this is a book for moderate to easy walking, and I would consider St. Declan's Way. So there's a full chapter with day by day with maps with everything else day by day descriptions of St Declan's Way and the antiquities that are along the way everything has to be seen that will be coming out on the 1st of April it'll be in all the local bookshops it'll also be online but again you know uh, pop into the local bookshops buy it there you know and uh, maybe then you have that then and you have the maps and everything else you can do it independently over the summer and I think you know you'll really enjoy it and you know and we've also upgraded a few changes. You know, roots are always changing. Very, very good indeed. Um, Is there a book on Declan, by the way? Is there? there Well, I suppose there would be in the there would be the the early Irish saints and that kind of thing. I'm not sure there's an absolute uh, book on Siobhan Lincoln did write a book. So mine is 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 the first on the modern way. Siobhan Lincoln, who is from Ardmore, she did actually write a book and uh, with Dick Lincoln, and they actually a book which was had a lot about Saint Declan's Way and was about, you know, the early route. Right. Uh, and uh, that book, I'm not sure if it's not out of print, but that would be the main one. I certainly have it at home and that, and it's a great resource. Right. No, I was just wondering about Declan himself and, yeah, you know, no, his I don't own life. That, and, I've never yeah. heard of anybody. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of it is that at that stage there was no written history in course, Ireland, yeah. so it's all folklore. In fact, the earliest piece of written history we have is actually the Confessions of St. Patrick. That's right. the first piece of actual writing. Well, he was a that. contemporary of Patrick. He would have been a contemporary, yeah. and, of course, Waterford people would believe that he was, he was there before Patrick yeah. and he could have been as well as that because the Roman Empire had Christianized for a hundred years so 
the, the one thing we can be 100% certain of, Par- Patrick made his contribution to Christianizing Ireland. Christians would have been in Ireland before Patrick because the Roman Empire was already 120 years Christianized. Right. And we were trading with You know, Rome. we don't want to hear that, of course. We want, yeah. we want to believe the myth, don't we? <laughs> and, that Pad- and that, as I say, Paddy was a Brit as well as that. No. Welsh, but, was it? Welsh, well, it, they don't know. They don't Again, know. he yeah. didn't make it clear himself. He was actually living, all we know is he's, he was living in a Roman town yeah. and his father was a fairly important official in the Roman Empire. But whether it was Wales, some think if he, if he was seized and brought across to Slemish, it might be more likely that it was up around Northumberland, somewhere yeah. up there. But Very good. Just not, not that I want to get you into trouble or anything. Have you any reservations about how St. Patrick's Day is going to happen in, in, in Dublin and with the woke elements to it and all of that? Does, does that do you have any concerns about that? You mean concerns? The, the, the people taking part in the march and maybe using it as sort of political stuff and all of that. I suppose you'd hope it's a celebration of Ireland, so you'd hope that it won't be highly politicised and mm. that kind of thing. I think the unfortunate thing, anything that attracts, you know, uh, a lot of attention mm. worldwide, inevitably, you know, people will try to muscle in on yeah, I remember yeah. well being at, you know, where when, when the hunger strike was very young, the hunger strike was going on and you had people, you know, invading GA pitches and on unveiling banners and that kind of thing. I'd hope that it can stay a con- the one consensual day we have. And of course it's huge because remember you'll have, you know, we'll have St. Patrick's bands down here. We celebrate St. Patrick but you also have St. Patrick's skills in the Orange Order as well. So he's very much a unifying saint and I hope that continues. Alright, well said. John, great to see you as always. Thanks Thank very you. much indeed. It's 11.33. We'll take a break. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. It's easy known as the Monday morning. Somebody took exception to me saying, the great Marty Morrissey, explain, Fran. It says here, and I'm sure he can't explain, you know. It's a bit of crack. We'll be talking to him on, uh, on Wednesday anyway on the Marty Party or Marty's Party is happening at uh, the University Concert Hall in Limerick this coming Friday, and we will announce the winner of those tickets uh, in just a few moments' time. All right, now, earlier on, we spoke to Father Michael Toomey and indeed Councillor John Fitzgerald about the vandalism and destruction of the vacant buildings at Marketplace in Clonmel. Mick was in touch and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Mick. Hey, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. What do you make of what's happening, Mick? Well, Fran, I was on to you about, it must be three or four years ago, I'd say, in regard to Marketplace this morning. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm living about 150 yards away from it, from, from the entrance uh, opposite uh, Mr. Bubbles. That's where the trouble started. It mm. uh, the old um, news agents that was there. That was slowly falling apart. Now, that's in a, a most awful state at the moment, and that's been there for, for a number of years. And, and uh, a carpenter, if, if they had hired a carpenter for one day, he would have been able to... to uh, how would I say, put a blast on it, if you want to put it like that. Just to board it up in some way, is that uh, it? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, just all the woodwork around the, the window. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you didn't have to use expensive wood, like, just to make it presentable, like. Mm. 
I mean, if you if you were committed to the mill and you were going to invest in marketplace and you came up, say, from from the school uh, up towards Mister Bubbles there, and you looked left and you said, "God, I'm interested in." in uh, Oh, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in Just with in, the, in, uh, the dereliction you mean, Mick, is it? Just to look yeah. at the dereliction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the company that owns the place, they mustn't have any respect for their own property. Mm. Let's be honest about it, because they've done nothing for years there. And as far as I know, I, I'm not sure if uh, uh, the, the old Super Queen shop, uh, I'm not sure if that's part of the, the company that owns the rest of the place. I think there's something I, different. I don't think so, in fact. I don't think so, but I, I, I stand to be corrected on that. Yeah, well, I, I stand don't to be corrected so. on it as well, but as far as I know, I don't think Who you know. Do you see this on a regular basis, Mick, that the, the, the vandals sort of doing this destruction? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was youngsters hanging around there all day, like, and uh, the, the, uh, lately there was a place next to the old Super Queen store, and... Uh, in the finish, they just left it open. It was a shop that was used there on, on a few occasions for different things. Oh, that's right, to sell tickets and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, was, that was completely blown open, if you want to put it like that. And, yeah. and now it's, it's boarded up there, as far as I know. But uh, uh, the other day, Bay's uh, uh, Cafe. Yes. Uh, I came down there, and the last door was, uh, the bottom panel of it uh, was, was completely shattered. And... To be honest with you, if, if a person came down there with a young child that was just toddling along, they would reef themselves if they went over to that. Absolutely cut themselves to ribbons. Yeah, and and that leads me to, to wonder about insurance and stuff like that for, for you know, those But just part of the May's old cafe there, there, there's a part of the ceiling that's down there on, on the front of it. Uh, you know, the ceiling has collapsed there or whatever. Whatever brought that down, I don't know whether it was water or damage. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at some pictures in front of me at the, at the moment of just the sheer destruction. You know, what drives young lads to to this kind of thing, Mick? Well, you see, they, they put in a, they put in seat there then, uh, and as far as I was concerned, the seat that they put in is only uh, where the place is vacant. It's only a gathering place for young kids. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And, and putting in seat there was, was a bad idea. It was good when the place was working. Uh, uh, okay, they had the chemist shop and they had the, mm. uh, all the facilities there. And it's, it all seems to be centred around one particular place. It's the, it's the square opposite Mr. Bumble's. Mm. That seems to be where all the trouble is. If you go up further or head out towards the church, there doesn't seem to be any damage done there. Like, you know? Yeah, well, so, some of what I'm looking at now is on that way down to the church and doors burst open and there's windows broke there as well. Yeah, well, that's only lately. You yeah, know, yeah. Most of it uh, up to now was concentrated in that square, mm. you know. And, you know, I, I, I think the person that has the bookshop there, you know, I, I think they're marvellous to be able to keep that place open and all that. Yeah, and a fantastic bookshop it is too, yeah. And a fantastic bookshop it is. And even the hairdresser's fair play to have yeah, kept it open. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I got a little further than she was doing nails there as you headed out towards the church, and uh, they, they were supposed to be developing uh, a place there behind uh, spec savers. Yes, but so that that never materialised either, like, you know. But I mean, you can understand why people wouldn't pursue businesses there because, like, look at the state of it, you know. It's yeah, well, I mean, all you have to do is come up Kickham Street, just pass off my house. There's a thousand houses there, eight houses. Just pass off that, and then you're coming up, and I'm about 150 yards, I'd say, away from. From 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 the entrance in opposite Mr. Bumbles, and just to look at the, at the front of that there, like it's an absolute disgrace, like you know. 
Um, Father Michael was saying that it's inevitable that, you know, if you have a place like this, in the same way as the Clonmel Arms, I suppose, attracted uh, people to vandalise it, and then, of course, people are squatting there and stuff, that it's inevitable that if a place is abandoned, that that will happen, Mick. Do you go along with that? Well, I suppose, in all fairness, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not speaking for kids, but, but uh, in all fairness, kids always had a way of, of gathering together, like, and all you need is one guy to, to spark off the... the the, the ruination of a place like and they all follow like that's the way that's the, that's the way kids are like you know what I mean mm. there's a kind of a tendency particularly with teenagers like to be a bit on the bold side if you want to put it like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean and, and none of us were ages when we were, when we were teenagers either like you know we weren't but Jenny Mac but we wouldn't I, get away with that no you can be certain of that you can no, be certain I mean, of the that. only thing we were doing was uh, how would I say robbing an orchard or yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Harmless kind of stuff. Like, you know? Well, I well, you would have been doing that. I was at home practicing the piano. I was as good as gold. Well, well you, were a good, you were a good chap. Yeah, well, <laughs> we didn't have, we didn't have a piano. Uh, yeah. I had a tin whistle, all right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I believe you showed immense ability on that as well. I, uh, I did, yeah. yeah Mick, yeah. what do you think is going to be the end of the, I mean, I was talking to John Fitzgerald about this, and seemingly they're in talks. The the owners are in talks now with uh, the authority and all of that. But I have a funny feeling this is going to be drawn out over years. You know. Yes, uh, you know, I mean, if, they, if they're going to convert it in, uh, some of the places into, into housing and, and mm. all that, sure, that's going to take ages. You're going mm. to have planning process. All sorts you know, of stuff, yeah. You know, uh, it's coming to the stage now where, where uh, the local authority will have to see about blocking off the, blocking off the whole street. Wow. Yeah, yeah, blocking it off from, from Mr. Bubbles and, block, and blocking it off to stop people going up towards the church as well. That's the only answer I can see to it. Right, but some people use that as a shortcut to the church as yeah, well. Yeah, well, basically yeah. it's a public right of way, like, you know, but I mean, the local authority has, the, has, has yeah. powers to block off a, a, a public right of way. Well, I, know it's a, I know it's a drastic measure, but, you know... But surely I mean, the obligation of the company is to put up proper barriers uh, on the buildings. So, I mean, I've seen that done in other places and it can be done, you know? Yeah, and, and there's no point of putting up a bit of board. No, no, no. They'll kick that in in, in in 24 hours. Yeah, no, it should have to be proper. You're yeah. talking about proper shutters, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and... Uh, just in terms of, like, I mean, okay, the businesses all closed down there. You see right down O'Connell Street as well, so many businesses closed as well. Uh, the future, is it residential in all these areas? Mick? Is that the future of it? And what, what sure, do you think? I mean, you take O'Connell Street. Geez, when I was a young fellow, like, and that's a long time ago, now, uh, most of the businesses in O'Connell Street, uh, the, the people lived over, the owners lived over the shops. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they were thriving businesses. And uh, all, all, all the, the kids played around the, the O'Connell streets. They were all uh, living, living there and living over, 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 over the shop, if you want to put it like so that. So do we need to look at that again? Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I'm lucky that I, I bought a house in the middle of the town. Like, and I mean, I wouldn't leave it for anything, like, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to have to look back. I mean, we started uh, building houses out in the... Sticks, for want of a better word, mm. with no facilities, no nothing. I mean, you had big houses, schemes like Ellen Park were built originally. There's 306 houses or something there. And not a shop to be seen, not a, not a proper green area. It was only in latter years that they developed a few facilities there. Oh, you know, the panel, we, we, we just, uh, what's that Jim Crochet song? And little boxes, little boxes, little boxes, all the same, you know? Yeah. That's that's basically what we did. Like. We made a lot of mistakes, and we tend to keep making them, which is, you know... 
Well, we do. You see, I doubt the demand for housing again. Like, uh, you know, they're they're going to uh, you're going to have a bigger density of housing, like as well. You know what I mean? That's interesting. Uh, Mick, can I just finally ask you, do you feel, would you feel unsafe being in that area? Um, I do, yeah. Do I, I would. Uh, well, I've, I've come through it. Uh, I have come through it late at night, but I'm, I'd be wary of it now. I would, yeah. All right, Mick, always good to talk to you. Thanks, Mick. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, good, morning. good morning, Chip. How about you now? We'll take a break and we'll be back with another listener in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, the tickets uh, to uh, the Marty Party uh, going to John McCormick. There's a famous name, John McCormick of Clonmel. Well done to you, John, and uh, we wish you well. We'll have tickets to give away every day this week, and we'll speak to uh, Marty himself, I think, on uh, uh, Wednesday. And seemingly, the concert, they tell me, is a night of music, dance, laughter, and special guests, including Charlie McGettigan and Paul Harrington, the Eurovision uh, winners, and they have uh, dancing and they have traditional singers and they have uh, uh, Liam O'Connor is going to be there. Well, uh, Liam is the uh, box player of course, and uh, lots of other stuff as well, so there you go. All right, then let me talk to Paul. Paul, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Um, What are your feelings, Paul, about sort of vandalism and vandals and what should be done about them? Uh, The problem is well, there's a few problems. One problem is that the guys can come along and they can arrest the lads but, and then bring them to court, but the lads will be out of court before the guard is. Yeah. You know, and in fairness, I'm not too sure that a, a jail sentence is the problem, is a solution. I, I think it starts far on the other side of the fence. It starts with the parents. Yeah, and a lot of people, look at that that's green in front of me, the moment we started talking about this this morning, Paul, it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that a lot of finger-pointing was done towards parents here. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, kids have nothing to do these days. Mm. Oh, you had nothing to do. You know what I mean? It's a simple fact that we were always told, it's simple, really. If it's not yours, leave it alone. Yeah. Don't be near it. But the thing about it is, if, like, I mean, if my, if my kid did damage, then I, uh, I was expected to pay for the damage. Mm. And then in fairness, until they're 18, they're my responsibility. So if, if my kid were playing football and they broke the window in the house across the road, well, then it's up to me to pay for that window. And are you saying to me that accountability is not evident now at all, Paul? Is that well, it? Well, there's that too. But there's also, I mean, there's a... There's a a school of thought that seems to be, well, I didn't have a great childhood, so I'm making sure my kids yeah. had a great childhood. Now, I'm sure my, my, my parents gave me a better childhood than they had. Mm. And I gave my kids. I mean, my school days involved the strap. Yeah, I know. Same now, as that. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, don't get me wrong. Mm. Uh, I know there were animals in the teaching profession. Mm. And I will be honest, I wasn't a stranger to the straps. Mm. But I, I, I wouldn't regard myself as brutalised. Because uh, in sixth class, the teacher uh, opened the drawer. First day, opened the drawer to get the leather straps. 
Now, lads, he said, that's Mr. O'Toole. Right. And he he lives in this drawer. And he's very happy in the drawer. Now, you're in sixth class. You know how the game is played. So, you work with me, I'll work with you, and he can sleep. Right. And uh, did that traumatise you, Paul? No. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I go home from school, and uh, the man say, well, how was your day? Oh, I got the strap. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, was it coming to you? And I'd say, well, yeah, I crossed the line. Right, you and, know, and, no, and there's no there. price to pay now. Is that is that what you're saying, Paul? That there's no, isn't there, there's, there's no consequence. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Look, like your like your previous uh, caller there. Yeah, I I, I did a few orchards. Mm. We all did. It was, which it was a rite of passage, was it not, Paul? Well, you know, kind of yeah. like, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it wasn't. A push came to shove, and somebody got racky with. They go down to my house. And the mother would say, well, how much do you want for the apples? And then when they were gone, I'd get an earful. Right. Yeah. It's like, we, we understood. We, we didn't, if we, if we did something wrong, we didn't run away. We'd say, well, fine. We'd, uh, because the, the, mother would, the mother never chased after us. Said, it doesn't matter, you come home for your tea. But it, and, and if somebody of authority, Paul, arrived at your house and said to your mother... Paul was seen doing this, and you know what? What would the consequence be there? Uh, it wouldn't film, probably. Would it? Yeah, they yeah, wouldn't. And, uh, they wouldn't and, be uh, sent off with a flea in the ear. And don't you dare say that about my my son. Oh or, God, no! God, no! 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 no yeah. she, 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 obviously, she would inquire the details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But yeah. Uh, if it was a case that I was the one involved, then I paid for it. Yeah, but I, I couldn't see that happening nowadays to arrive at somebody's door and, and, and blame a child and, and you know, I'd say you'd well, yeah, run out of the place. My Johnny wouldn't do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And the thing is, I know full well we were all children once. I mean, we know, now in fairness, I was terrified to cross the line. But, I mean, we all did mischief, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, of course. We, we, like, yeah, we all... Well, I didn't mischief. It wasn't in school. The mother knew it wasn't in school. But everybody took shortcuts and all the rest of that carry on. But the thing of it all, as I say, we were always told, if it's not yours, keep away from it. But one of the first people to contact us this morning after the chat with Father Michael Paul was a a, a woman who said that she knew of the situation of what was happening there. And in some cases, they're there with hurleys and schlitters and they're deliberately trying to break the windows with the hurley, with the the schlitter. I mean, really? Well, that's it. Like I say, in my day, if I'd done that, I would have been at bed and spat out. Yeah. In fact, I was talking to... Now, she's passed on since. But I talked to mother maybe 20 years ago. That that would put me in my 40. And she was saying, do you know what it is, son? I know you got into mischief and all the rest of it, but you never brought the guards to the door. And and that was of great pride to her. That was of great pride to her. Her attitude was, look, if you want to drink, you go ahead and have a drink. And in the morning time, when you're feeling seedy, as happened, she'd look in around the door of the bedroom and say, how are you feeling, son? Oh, mammy, I'm not well. Well, here's your basin. I'm going to walk. <laughs> you could smoke. She, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. You can smoke if you want to. It's your cough. She was a wise it's your woman. Hangover. I, oh, I, God, think, yeah. I think you alluded to something very important there earlier when you said to me about, we tried to make it better for them. Uh, than what we had. And I know I tried that over the time as well, but sometimes we take away responsibility for them then and we take away obligation and we take away all those things that they will need those skills later on in their own life. 
Well, you see, in fairness, as I say, parents seem to think these days that it's the teacher's job to put manners on the child. And so, like, if my grades weren't good, uh, my parents said to me, why aren't your grades good? Mm. They didn't go down and ask the teacher why my grades weren't good. Right, it was you. They asked me. Yeah. That the teacher can teach you. It's up to you what you do with it. So the, the responsibility's on you. But as I say, if I've broken someone's window... The dad would pay for it, then I'd pay for it. Right, so let me put all this back on you because you said it would be pointless trying to put them, lock them up somewhere on this. What would you do to these young vandals? Uh, <laughs> have no be, be careful stone. now, Paul, be careful. <laughs> I'd have no picking stones. Would you? Or get, get them out with them grabbers on the side of the road picking up all the dirtists on the side of the road. Right, some community activity somewhere that community would, be, would do good. Yeah, and, and no getting away from it. Hmm. You know, because and, and my dad won't let me do that. And the, the, the dad shot him in court and said, uh, if he doesn't do it, you'll be doing it. Yeah. Parental responsibility. So, it's okay. I mean, uh, if my uncle breaks something and I, I, I say, well, and I have to pay for it, I'd be watching him very closely. Or or for that matter. Right, because, because the know? responsibility would be yours in some way. Yeah, Exactly. So, and I mean, I know you get, oh, well, obviously I haven't the money for that because I'm on the dole like that. But it just makes no odds. Keep your kids under control. Simple it's as consequence. that. Simple as that. You have the children, they're your responsibility. When they become adults, they're their own responsibility. But until then, your baby, you rock it. All right, Paul, great to talk to you today. And thanks, Paul. Thank you. No problem. Thank, Thank you. Evening. Good morning to you. That's Paul speaking to us today. That's it from me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way to drag us, kicking and screaming back down memory lane. I'll talk to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.